I'm Amanda, and this is Not Your Granny's Quilt Show. Welcome to today's show. I'm very excited to let you know that I have Tara Evans of Tara Lee Quiltery on the show today. She is such a cool quilter. She designs amazing, unique patterns. She comes from an art background. And so she really tries to use those concepts in her quilts and it comes through beautifully. I don't know if you've ever seen her work. If not, go check her out. She's at Tara Lee Quiltery on Instagram. She's linked in the show notes below. So check her out. This episode was really was really fun. She had reached out to her Instagram followership for kind of questions or topics that people wanted to hear about. So we actually went through some of those for you guys and, um, anybody that was mentioned or that brought up a question, I'm going to also have them tagged in the show notes so that if you want to check out their pages or you resonate with kind of their question or want to find out more about those people, you can. And it's, it was just so fun. We talked from everything from like shipping as a small business to like the patriarchy. So, um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's jump into it. Howdy there. I'm here to do a shameless plug for my Patreon page. Have you checked out patreon.com slash not your granny's quilt show? Well, if not, you should as a member or patron, you get access to me. (laughs) I'm really looking for our not your granny's quilt show family to grow a community online as well as in the listenership. I love you guys so much. And I just want to keep creating a warm, welcoming space where everybody has a voice. So head on to patreon.com slash not your granny squilt show with membership. You'll receive a free downloadable, um, phone screen, phone lock screen wallpaper that is designed by yours truly. Um, if you are in a paid tier, when you first sign up, you'll receive a not your granny's quilt show logo sticker sent right to your door and you'll get early access to the episodes as a paid patron. So whether you paid or not, you still get access to me. You get access to the community and there's some really fun stuff being shared over at Patreon. So head over to patreon.com slash not your granny's quilt show and check it out today. Have you grabbed your Not Your Granny's Quilt Show swag yet? Well, if not, now is as good of a time as any. There are some great shirts, sweatshirts, tote bags, mugs, stickers, just fun stuff for you to show your support of the show. I am so excited. QuiltCon is coming up so, so soon, and I will be sporting my swag all over that place to make sure everybody knows, one, that it's me because... Duh. Um, but two, so that we can find each other. If you're a not your granny's quilt show supporter, I cannot wait to see you wearing your swag out in the wild. So head on over to the shop. It's N-Y-G-Q-S dot printify P-R-I-N-T-I-F-Y dot M-E. That's N-Y-G-Q-S dot printify dot me to shop today. All right. Hi Tara, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm staying warm. (laughs) Good. I know. I saw that it was so, so cold where you're at and we've got lots of snow here. So I think everybody's just in a hunker down mode with these storms blowing through. 
I know, right? I feel like the cold is like descending from the north. I feel like it's like that movie, The Day After Tomorrow, where like <gasps> everything freezes for like 36 hours or something, and then the whole world has to start over. Yeah. yeah that's what it feels like. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hopefully it's not that bad. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's been crazy. But anyway, well, so funny that like we have a connection because you grew up kind of where I am from, where I live. And we found out we have like some mutual connections from high school choir, which was like so funny to me, but I know, right. In the shower this morning, I was trying to remember because we went to rival high schools mm -hmm. and I think you're one year older than, did you graduate in 04? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I graduated in 05, okay. but um, yeah, I was trying to remember who I knew from your high school. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we can throw was... names around later, but yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. Like, I'm pretty sure we probably rubbed shoulders and never knew. Yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> well, I just think of like all the things that our schools and our choirs did together, just like all the events and different, like we had, um, the Christmas retreat. So in the fall, we'd like, we would always like cross paths with the other high school choirs as we like one school is going up the next is coming down but as we had overlapping times we would all practice our Christmas concert together yeah and like um, was that in like McCall or yeah Cascade or whatever yeah, yeah. it was in McCall okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so just those times of like where we had moments to like cross paths or like doing the Christmas concert with all of the high school choirs and yeah at, yeah at the university campus was I don't know such good memories so like it was just so funny when you were like wait <laughs> I know right well our voices are together again yeah there you go. <laughs> so exciting I don't sing anymore teaching ruined my voice oh man yeah I still sing but it's just at church you know oh nice yeah, yeah. but my kids are super musical too oh. so now I'm kind of I'm I'm transferring all of my my excitement into what they're doing now you know so perfect yeah perfect yeah, yeah I my boys don't really, well, they love music, but and my youngest tries to, he's tried to play a couple instruments here and there, just like goofing around with his, his friends in the garage kind of thing. But mm -hmm. yeah, nobody, nobody else. I'm just, I was the only one, but it's just kind of funny. And like, it was such a huge part of my life. Like it was so important to me Oh yeah. in that time. Like it was a network of people I had that were helping I don't think they knew they were helping me, but they were, and it was just yeah. kind of a tough spot for me. So, um, yeah. it's just, I really hold it near and dear to my heart. So it was just kind yeah. of fun. I love when that happens. I love when like a, like, cause like the whole, the whole, like Boise, even like the treasure Valley area, mm -hmm. everybody was so into choir. Like the choir program is so huge there. Yeah. And I love when areas get really into something, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, yeah. and the youth really get into it. And I think it's less about like the actual, like, um, thing that they're doing, like singing or whatever, but, but it's more, like you said, it's more about like that crazy, like you're really into your community and you're mm -hmm. being taught by really inspiring adults and like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Like it's so pivotal for a teen, I think, to experience that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was such a welcoming space. Like it didn't really matter what else you did outside of choir, but once you were in that room, like you were just 
you were just one of every, you know, one of the group and it didn't matter. And it just felt really cool. So yeah, such a fun experience and, and so fun to have that connection. And I think, you know, unless someone else has experienced that, they just can't really understand what it's like. And so yeah. to, to like, know, to know someone else, like one of my other close friends, like she, she was also in choir in high school and in college. And so she, she knows, so we're, we kind of nerd out together on certain choiry <laughs> things, like yeah, yeah, things of the time too, that were like, you know, like Josh Groban and <laughs> yeah, I remember that <laughs> those were the times. Right. But anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, instead of choir, we're here to talk about quilting. Yes. <laughs> so let's get into that, but tell me like, yeah, we like kind of ghost ghostly cross paths in high school, but I know nothing about you. So <laughs> I feel like, except, you know, the few things I've seen on Instagram, but yeah, like, I want to know how you got into sewing and quilting and yeah. where that became a thing for you. I know. Right. I, who would have thought I never would have thought, but like, so, um, along with being a super choir nerd, I was just like a crazy artsy fartsy girl. So I was mm -hmm. just always in the art room or the choir room. Those were my two spaces. I also loved, like in high school, I really loved math and calculus. Like I was kind of a nerd in that way. Mm. Um, uh, funny story, like this, this couple months ago, I finally got diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. Oh. And now as I like look back retrospectively, like yeah. at um, my, my experience in the school years, it makes so much sense because in high school, like I would, I would take summer school Mm -hmm. on purpose to take the boring classes and get them out of the way. So I mm -hmm. would always take English and history and health and government or whatever in summer school. So that during the school year, I literally just had like two art classes, two choir classes, uh, AP physics, AP calculus. And that was it. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah. So I just had the classes that I loved and I excelled really well at those. And <laughs> and yeah. now knowing now that I had ADHD like that's what I was doing I was getting rid of the stuff that didn't interest me right. and I just I hyper focused on what I loved and mm -hmm. um yeah so uh I ended up going to university for fine art like I I was a painter mm. I did a lot of large murals in fact at Bora High School mm -hmm. there's still a mural that I painted in the choir room which is kind of cool. at least I think there is I don't know I'd have to see if they painted over it <laughs> Wow. But, um, but yeah, so I did, I did that. And in university, I actually did not do very well, but, and it's because mm. like, I couldn't take the summer school classes and get right. the, the boring stuff out of the way. So mm -hmm. I either aced a class, um, because I loved it, or I pretty much almost flunked or near passed a mm -hmm. class, all the other classes. Right. And, yeah. um, that was really hard on me emotionally. Cause I didn't understand, like, I didn't, I didn't understand that I had ADHD. I just thought of me as like, kind of like a failure, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. um, <clears throat> anyway, so, uh, I kind of transferred my focus. Uh, I wasn't feeling that I was doing very well at school. And so I kind of transferred my focus and, and I got married young and started having kids. And so like being a mom, a stay-at-home mm -hmm. mom became my focus. I was like, I can excel at this. You know, mm -hmm. I might not be good at university courses, um, 
but I can excel in this area of my life. And so art kind of took the back burner Mm -hmm. um, because I was just so in baby and toddler mode, you know, for sure. And And that's um, like all consuming. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. And the funny thing is, is that like, I still, that, that artistic side of me, like was just, it just was calling at me every single day. And so every night when I would fall asleep, that's when I would literally, you know how people talk about their mind palace. Mm -hmm. I would close my eyes and I would walk into my art studio and I would Mm. literally create as I was falling asleep. Yeah. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I think to myself, like one day, one day, one day I'll get back to this. Um, and, uh, and so when my, youngest was finally like about four and she was pretty self-sufficient. I was like, okay, I can finally start doing something. I had like dabbled in little things throughout the years. I, I got into cake decorating. I did a lot of photography for weddings and family portraits. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I did calligraphy, like hand lettering. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I actually started an Instagram account back in the day called Tara Lee calligraphy mm. and, <laughs> and it kind of rhymed and my name's Tara my middle name's Lee Tara Lee calligraphy yeah and so that was kind of my outlet for about a year uh-huh. and then my youngest turned four and I was like okay hey, now what do I actually want to do yeah. um I eventually settled on quilting and I'll get to that in a second but that yeah. that's how I switched my my Instagram tag from Tara Lee calligraphy to Tara Lee quiltery. Okay. <laughs> kind of a funny word. People are like, what's quiltery? And I was like, well, think of it like a bakery, but for quilts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so clever because, you know, you can only have so many plays on the word sew or quilt or, yeah, like you know, that. and um, yeah. so seeing quiltery, I was like, Ooh, I like this. Because it is, it's like a fun play on the word and it is, you're making, you know, a place where you make baked goods as a bakery and a, you know, it's like a place where you make gorgeous quilts as quiltery. So it makes, make total sense to me. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Okay. So how I actually got into quilting, I was living, um, in Nova Scotia at the Mm -hmm. time, um, and I had a sewing machine and I would sew on occasion, but I, I didn't sew garments. Mm. I've never been a garment person. I didn't sew quilts cause I didn't really know about that. But what I would sew is like stuff for my kids. So like burp sure. cloths or, um, the one thing I was really into was Halloween costumes. Now mm. I said, I didn't sew garments. And it's because what I would do for Halloween costumes is I would buy like a plain sweatsuit. and then transform it into something like I would attach felt and like I made a really ornate um uh Buzz Lightyear costume and I even got like cardboard and to make the wings and like inserted the cardboard into felt you know what I mean like and just that's what I would do that was kind of like my little artistic outlet for my kids was to make Halloween costumes so I had a friend and her name is Julia and um she actually is a uh, a really good quilter her hashtag i just want to shout people out i'm going to shout people out this whole time just please so do i love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so her name's julia and she uh her account is briar hill designs um her and her i believe it's her sister-in-law 
they designed fabric for Robert Kaufman. So yeah. So, and she wasn't quite doing that at the time. She was Mm -hmm. just, um, she was, I think about a year later, she got signed on to Robert Kaufman. So she was kind of in the windup phase of, of learning all those, um, all those skills and, and getting her portfolio ready anyway. So I had a friend and so we decided to have sewing days together. So I would work on my Halloween costume and she'd be working on some sort of quilt. Mm. And that's my first exposure to quilts really. Um, besides like the, I think I, like I have memories as a kid, going to church activities where all the ladies would be sitting around a big um, quilt stand thing and they'd Mm -hmm. be yarn tying. Do you remember Mm -hmm. the yarn tying? Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you would like sit underneath and like, like you would be the one who would do all the middle, the middle yarn (laughs) ties because you'd be underneath the quilts. And anyway, um, I remember that that was my idea of what quilting was really. Yeah. So going to my friend Julia's house and seeing the amazing things that she was doing, um, I was like, whoa, that's intense. And I'm not ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hold on. It's like a whole different set of everything. Oh, for sure. That and, and her, um, she was more of kind of like a traditional quilter. She Mm -hmm. had a lot of florals. Um, she was doing a lot of block-based quilts and they were gorgeous, absolutely stunning. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I was like, I don't know if I'd ever really get into that. Um, my my style's very modern, very mm-hmm. like bright, dynamic, crazy, funky, you know, like high yeah. contrast, very angular kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And so seeing kind of the softness that was more her aesthetic, I was like, okay, so that's what quilting is. Yeah, I don't know if I'm really into that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was my exposure. And then about a year later, we were in Manitoba, mm-hmm. um, living in Manitoba. And I, uh, decided, okay, I can make a quilt. Um, I'm going to make one for my kid and, um, but I'm not going to use somebody else's pattern. And (laughs) this is where like the artist part of me comes in because my, my, um, thinking was, or my rationale was, you know, I'm not going to sit down and paint a version of starry, starry night by Van Gogh right? Sure. It's going to be something completely unique to me. Like that's the kind of the joy of, of creating for me is, is like taking something that's inside me Mm -hmm. and transforming it into something new. Right. So I wasn't necessarily interested in using somebody else's pattern to make a quilt. So Mm -hmm. my idea was like, okay, well, I'm going to make a bunch of those like triangle thingies, half square triangles. And, um, (laughs) I'm just going to like put them in some kind of, I'm going to see how many weird looking blocks I can make with these half square triangles, how many different combinations I can make. Right. Yeah. That was kind of like my prompt, my artistic prompt. So, um, so that was my first quilt. And of course it's horrible. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing. My son still uses it, but it's horrible. Like I didn't know how to do binding. And so that I was like, and of course I'm like, I'm going to teach myself how to do everything. So of course, I'm not going to look up the right way to do it. I'm just going to figure it out myself. Yeah. You're like, how long is it going to be? (laughs) Exactly. So I just made the backing slightly larger than the top. And then I would like roll over the backing Yeah, and which was fine kind of on the straight edges. But as soon as you got to a corner, like I had no idea how to miter a corner or anything. So I'm just kind of fudging it and kind of curving (laughs) it. And oh, it's just it. 
it's bad. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think, you know, unless you're a magician or you have a ton of help, even with a ton of help, my first quilt is iffy in some spots, but yeah. And I didn't do the binding and I didn't do the long arming, like the quilting of it myself. So yeah, those things, I didn't learn those things until like my third, second or third quilt, but yeah, same yeah. thing. I was like, I'm just going to do half square triangles forever because it was like the least scary thing to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. But so that was like, I was learning my foundational skills, you know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, even at the very beginning, I was buying the cheapest fabric ever. I can't even remember what it's called. Like I'm drawing a blank, but I went mm -hmm. to the fabric store and I saw like a whole section of just solids, mm. tons of solids, but they were so cheap. They weren't even quilting cotton. They were I can't even remember. They're like partially like there's got to be some polyester in there Ooh. and they were super thin too. I can't even remember what it's almost like a muslin, okay. but anyway, so there, but there was a whole spectrum rainbow. And I was like, there you go. That's my artist palette because it's only like $3 a yard. I was like, yeah. hey, let's get a, a yard of like 30 different colors. You know what I mean? Sure, and there yeah. we go. That's my artist palette. And I can quote unquote paint, you know what I mean? Yeah. Start to create. So that's, that's what I did for a while. Um, and then in 2018, I was like, I think I want to create design something that's totally different than what I see on the market. Mm -hmm. That's totally modern. Um, and maybe I can write instructions for it and just see where it goes. So that's how I put out my first pattern. So the crazy thing is, and this kind of blows my, I don't recommend this, but it's what I did <laughs> and it worked out is I wrote and, and put my first pattern out without ever opening another, uh, a, another person's pattern. I had never read a quilt pattern. It's like writing a knitting pattern without even knowing what a knitting, knitting pattern looks like. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, that's what I did. That's bold. That's bold. It is. It is bold. <laughs> now I should say like, I had the skills behind that. Like I, sure. um, going to university in art school, like I left, I left university 10 credits shy of my, of my degree. So I Ooh. technically don't have my degree, my bachelor's degree, but I do have like three and a half years of classes behind me. So I knew how to use illustrator. Mm -hmm. I knew how to do all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So it yeah. wasn't like I was just kind of writing things on paper and then <laughs> scanning it and then publishing it. Right. You're like, hope this works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I had, I had some skills, like I knew I could put together some sort of professional document and yeah. I was very math oriented too. So I knew like I could stand behind um, what I was putting out, right. but, um, years later, now that as, um, I'm more acquainted with other people's patterns, I can see the difference between my writing style mm -hmm. and others writing style. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was one of the first people to put out coloring pages. Mm. And that was like from, from day one, that was part of my, part of my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like, Cutting instructions are slightly different for me. They're more uh, like I, I put out, like I put out a diagram of the entire width of fabric and mm -hmm. where everything fits in. Mm 
Yeah. Right. Like there's a, there's a, a picture to that. It's not just words like cut this, cut this, subcut this. Yeah. Um, I'm very visual. So, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of my style. Um, anyway, so that's how I started. So my first pattern came out in 2018. So it's been what, five, almost six years now. Mm-hmm. So, and now wow. I have, I'm working on my 22nd pattern, which is exciting, but that's anyway, so, cool. so that's how, that's how I got started. Um, I would say my style, like I mentioned before, uh, I feel like my, my designs, like they're showstoppers, like they're mm-hmm. very dynamic and bold and like, yeah. Um, yeah, they're meant to be showstoppers. They're not necessarily meant to be quilts that you put on your bed. Like they're not very home decor, um, you know, kind of, um, calming. Sure, <laughs> they're sure. more like, they're more like, dang, whoa, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. So high visual impact. Yes. High yeah. visual impact. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so kind cool. of my style. Yeah. I love it. Well, they're pieces you... of art. They're pieces yeah. of art. Right. They so. truly are. And, um, I loved like recently you just had, um, because starry got finally launched as a, as a Ruby star basic and I'm just over the moon about it, but you were finally putting together kits for your patterns, some of your patterns based on movies. And so you had people choosing kind of, you know, this or this, this or this. And mm-hmm. it was so fun to see what came from that because just some like the mood of the movie was just like, yep, that's it. That's the one, you know, I don't yeah. know if I voted on every single one. Cause I was like, I don't know. I can't choose, but, <laughs> but I feel like everybody got the assignment. Like the assignment mm-hmm. was understood and what was presented. I felt good about, I was like, yes, I can agree with all of these. And yes. <laughs> so I was like, I let the public speak for me too, but, um, just such a fun concept. And, and yeah, the, the visual impact that your designs have, I feel like is more just from what I can tell, I have not made one of your patterns yet, but I cameos keeps popping in my head. Cause I'm like, I oh, really yeah. want to make that. I, I, really I want to see like you do custom quilt. I know. Well, and I want to <laughs> see you do a cameos t-shirt quilt. That was one of the, that was one of the concepts behind having that large oval, I was like, people can do a t-shirt quilt or they can do like some sort of crazy custom quilting mandala in Mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like that was like immediately what popped in my head because the long arming is my favorite part of the whole process. And Mm -hmm. just like, there's a million things you could do that. Just like, you know, the t-shirts, that would be so fun for like, if you have like band t-shirts from concerts that you've been to, or, Mm -hmm. you know, a specific kind of I mean you could do whatever you want but this is just like ideas that keep ping-ponging in my head just at the moment but anyway yeah because yeah, I love getting like concert t-shirts and I have so many now and I'm like what am I gonna do with all these I wear them but yeah you know yeah. eventually I won't probably and but yeah. I'm like I'll just make a quilt out of them eventually like that's kind of yeah. why I started collecting them because I'm like I'll want a quilt out of these one day so oh for sure anyway yeah, that would be super fun to make a t-shirt be. quilt out of that. And anyway, so I I appreciate your style because I don't want to like say this in a disparaging way whatsoever because I don't design quilt patterns. And so I don't feel mm-hmm. like I necessarily have a huge leg to stand on yeah. in saying this. So I hope people take this with like a grain of salt in the sense that like uh, if 
feels kind of stagnant out there mm. in, yeah. in the quilt pattern world. And, and it's like, I love what I see, but it all kind of started to feel the same there for a minute. Like mm-hmm. everybody's patterns seemed really similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that they weren't, you know, different from one another or yes. but like everything yeah. started to have kind of the same feel to it. Yes. And, yep. um, I don't think that any of yours ever fell into any of those categories. And so, yeah. um, so I appreciate that you've stuck to what you want to create Yes, yes. to what is important to you in creating art. And, and that's why your patterns stand out because mm-hmm. they're yours. They're you, they're not some trend. They're not some, mm-hmm. um, someone else's idea of what a quilt should look like it's it's yes. your idea and so I yeah. I really appreciate that about about what you're making and putting out into the quilty world because there's a lot of voices out there and and I like to say and I like to try to stand by as much as I humanly possibly can that I believe there's a voice for everyone and mm-hmm. yep um so making space for that and allowing for it and not shutting not shutting down something that isn't on the exact trend of the moment. Like mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think is yeah. where I'm at, but anyway. Yeah. I have two theories about that. I think, yeah. um, I think it's because I didn't, I wasn't a quilter turned designer. Right. Um, I instead was like a, an artist who eventually became a quilter. So I, I, I came with I didn't, I didn't come with all of these quilt blocks already downloaded in my head. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so those kinds of things wouldn't even come to my mind and until I was exposed to them. Right. Right. And then my second theory about that is um, um, once you're, once you really get into the quiltiverse, like it's very immersive mm-hmm. and, and the, the bad thing about that is that you, you don't expose yourself to outside sources very much. And so of course, all of your, I mean, if all of your inspiration is in the quiltiverse, then the the designs you're going to come up with are already there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to start, I mean, as a designer, you have to start following non quilting accounts. You have to, Mm -hmm. you know, start following architecture, start following, you know what I mean? To Mm -hmm. kind of break your brain out of, you know, what can I do with an HST? Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh right? my God. As I'm sitting yeah. on a quilt of HSTs, <laughs> I turn them into hourglass. Okay. I did yes. something different. <laughs> my one and only um, hourglass block. Quilt. I know. Well, and I'm like, I'm interested in the pantograph. Like I'm trying to decipher. It a peacock oh, like feather. A... Okay. Yeah. It kind of looks like art deco-y clamshell-y. Yeah. yeah. It's it's called peacock feather, but I did it pretty big because it is pretty dense, but yep. you can kind of see. Yeah. It is that. very art deco yep. looking. Yeah. And I used bright pink thread, obviously. Yeah. The backing is also these bright pink and purple. Yes. Peacocks. Cause oh, perfect. I there love peacocks. I love them. So this was a, a layer cake. I don't know. 10 inch stacker that my mom got me oh yeah and then um craft warehouse is you know it's a chain crafting store but 
usually they have pretty good fabric and they do their flat fold sale a yep. couple times a year where they get just truckloads of fabric and it's always like five or six dollars a yard and so that bat my backing for this was actually from that flat fold sale and I was like oh my god they have the peacocks and like, <laughs> the binding and yeah anyway so yeah. um but yeah it's it's hard to see outside of the space you're in if you don't ever branch out to look at different mediums and I think mm -hmm. as a like mm -hmm. I grew up around fabric, but mostly like apparel sewing and, you know, my mom would make us clothes or she'd make, you know, whatever curtains, throw pillows, like lots of different sewing projects. She's, she's sewn her whole life. So it was just kind of always around and, but we always had other crafty stuff. She's always been a, a hobbyist. And so we always had that around. And so because I've had lots of different experiences, it's like, and I, I crocheted a lot before I became a quilter mm -hmm. and so even sometimes seeing I'll see quilt patterns and be like I wonder if I could crochet that and I'll kind of fiddle around I haven't really come up with anything super crazy but I just like the concept of seeing what other people are making because it is so inspiring to yeah. see other pieces of art and wonder how you can work it into a different like oh, medium sure. like quilting like fabric and oh yeah Yes. And that puzzle, oh, my ADHD brain, ADHD yeah. brain eats that up. Like seeing something and be like, how could I turn this into a quilt block? How would I construct it? Like, mm -hmm. or even like one of my favorite things to do is when I'm coming up with a design and then kind of trans translating that design into how would it actually be a pattern is how could I make this pre-cut friendly? And like yeah. that math problem. Oh, I love that math problem. <laughs> I could do that all day. Like getting things to fit in a fat quarter. Oh, I love yeah. it. <laughs> That's Yeah. Well, an art gallery just recently released their a chart of like how many pieces of different size squares or different cuts you can get out of a fat quarter. And I was like, Ooh, that's some smooth business right there. Like yeah. I really <laughs> enjoyed seeing that chart. I was like, Ooh, this is so nice. Yes. I think it can be daunting too, to think, can I even make, and this is where I struggle with like using scraps or using my, my supply, um, of fabric that I have at my disposal. But I tend to think like, there's no way I can get enough pieces out of that piece that, you know, cut of fabric or that, that fat yep. quarter or that 10 inch square. Yep. And I'm always proving myself wrong uh -huh. but for some reason I cannot come away from that thinking of like I don't have enough fabric to make yeah. the thing I want to make and just like embracing the scrappiness of things which yep. I really want to and anytime I make something that's more scrappy I'm like more excited about it but yeah but the fact that like people are out there willing to do the math for the people like me who are really scared to not have enough fabric is like <laughs> It just, it helps. It helps break away from that. Like, no, I actually do have enough and I can make this work. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is a puzzle. And I think it can be daunting because as women, especially it's easy to tell ourselves we're not good at things and mm -hmm. second guess ourselves. And, but there's so much math in quilting, whether you're the one designing the pattern or not. And there's so mm -hmm. much problem solving that happens that we don't give ourselves credit for and it's bananas to me oh for sure for sure 
And even those like crazy blocks that like you start out with an HST and then you do this magic cut to it and then you do that and then you do that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, whoever figured that out, it's kind of like origami for quilting. It's so cool. I love when love when I see that in the quilting world. Yeah. No, it's so great. And I um I just completed it's the quilting isn't finished. I have to do that later. Um, but a client hired me to make a quilt and I know mixed reviews. So don't come at me, but it's Harry Potter and it, the blocks all came from the gorgeous brain of Kelly Fannin of Kelly Mm -hmm. Fannin quilts and all the designs are free. So that is even more amazing because I made 25 of the blocks that she oh. has to make because I'm it's a king size quilt and yes. I'm ready yes. to take a nap for years because it <laughs> took so long. But oh, just I'm the sure. Back that she figured out how to make all these different little shapes and yeah. all the cuts and all like some of the blocks had like over a hundred pieces in them. Like yes, and. Are they like kind of like pixelated character mm-hmm. kind of things? Okay. Yeah. Yep. And she has several kind of themed quilt alongs and like tutorials um, that are just very similar and very, yeah, pixelated kind of blocky. And they're not fully, it's not like all one inch squares kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like obviously yeah. where bigger pieces can be cut. She figured that out, which was so nice yeah. because yeah. Um, I made a quilt based on zelda my mom and i did um and that was we had to figure out where we could cut longer one and a half inch strips versus just making everything a one and a half inch square but anyway um and just some like there's um one of the the one of the kelly fannin blocks is um if if anybody knows harry potter at all but like in one of the um books Ron takes a a magical car that his dad Mm -hmm. had and it flies Mm -hmm. and he took it to go get Harry because his aunt and uncle had locked him in the house and put bars on his window so he couldn't escape and yeah so they flew the car to go rescue Harry and then it ends up crashing into the Whomping Willow at Hogwarts and so the block is the car like at an angle in the Whomping Willow so there's like these kind of tree branches yeah, I would have avoided that. <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, I'm going to choose a different scene. That's crazy that she tackled that. Yeah, and honestly, in, in her, you know, because every every block has a, her own little kind of blurb at the beginning. And she was like, this was a doozy. Yeah. Just take it slow. I promise everything is straight seams. Like, it'll be okay. But there was like a lot of yeah. snowballed corners in this quote. Let me tell you something. <laughs> so many seams. It's, it's just the top alone without the border on it weighs so much. I was like, okay, this quilt is going to cost a thousand dollars to mail anyway. So I just really admire people who are kind of making things that are unique and different who yep. figure out all that hard work for, for those of us who just want to make stuff. And it's a big deal. It's a lot of work. So thank you. I'm going to clap for you right now. Oh. And <laughs> oh, geez. It just contributes to, I think, you know, just keeping the momentum going of people trying new things. And if they see Mm -hmm. a really interesting thing they want to make and they've got some skills under their belt, 
you know, it seems less scary to tackle and it's like, okay, I can just make this. I don't have to like be the one to create it. Yes. So I love that. Oh yeah. Yay. Okay. So I actually have uh, an idea. So um, I asked my followers on Instagram, well, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the few, the like hundred that see my stories because (laughs) the algorithm is stupid yes um anyway but I asked them what they would want to hear on a quilting podcast and I got some good questions so okay yeah let's cover those you sent them to me and I am really excited because there's some really like poignant points poignant issues and things we can talk about they're a little more lighthearted. but so I don't know whatever you want to start with like I am totally down for all the doozies like okay know me well and like one of my favorite sayings is like and I kind of give this title to myself is I'm the radical quilter Mm. like I'm radical right so like not afraid to go there um yeah Yeah. and I want to see change in certain areas anyway okay but I do want to add a disclaimer that like I'm only speaking from my experience so when I answer these questions I'm not speaking for the whole quilting community I'm speaking for my very small niche as a cisgendered straight you know middle class white woman right (laughs) yeah no same totally and it's like I don't ever want anybody to think I'm trying to speak for them because yeah no like Mm -hmm. nope I can only speak to my own experience so yeah disclaimer we're not making blanket statements for anybody no Mm -mm -mm. pun intended yeah so yeah my experience might be totally different than yours totally Sure. But, um, but I do have uh, some experience and that's what I kind of want to share. Okay. So the first question that I want to, and I kind of put these in an order, hopefully they'll kind of like transition one to the next, but sure. this one was asked by Miha handmade. So it's M I J a dot handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awesome. She's a, she's a fellow designer and she's actually going to be my roommate for QuiltCon. So I'm excited about that. It's my first time meeting her too. So it's like, hi, Hey, you want to share a bed together? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Hopefully I don't snore. We'll see. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, what did she have to say? Okay. So she asked, uh, she wanted to hear how to build contacts in the professional industry, Mm -hmm. not just on Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I think this speaks to kind of our generation. We're very Instagram heavy. Yes. And, um, so, so she's kind of wondering as a quilty business, how do we build contacts outside of Instagram? So, um, I kind of broke this up into two, a first personal contacts and second, like professional contacts. So first personal, um, get into a guilt Mm -hmm. and, um, it doesn't even have to be an in-person guilt. Lots of guilds meet on Zoom now. Um, mm-hmm. I like I live all the way in Canada, and my guild is the Portland Modern Quilt Guild. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I haven't I haven't gone to a meeting for a while, but during 2020, 2021, I was all about that, and I mm-hmm. loved it. Right? Yeah. Um, second is to go to shows. Like, so you can go to QuiltCon if that's um, if if that's in your budget, if that's in your your timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go to the local show. So like, I just barely went to a local quilt show last like mother's day weekend. That was my first time ever going to a local quilt show. Mm-hmm. And I think I steered clear to clear of them because I 
didn't, I didn't think there would be a place for my personal tastes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be more on the traditional end. And there was a lot of traditional quilts there, Mm -hmm. but there is always, there's an emerging pocket of, of modern and, and you tend to flock to each other and you're like, oh my gosh. Right. And so then you're like instant friends. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that was my experience at, at my local show. And so I highly recommend that. So start going to those local shows, those county fairs or state fairs or Mm -hmm. whatever, and, um, find your, find your niche there. Cause there's going to be someone there. And then the second thing I suggested is like, be part of Facebook groups. So, Mm I know, like, I think you're the new moderator for Seam Ripper Society. I am. I'm one of the new ones. Yeah. So that's, that's a good Facebook group and there's probably others and there might even be ones that are local. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you are really itching to meet people, you know, have an, an IRL quilt, quilting friend, yeah. Facebook groups is a good way to figure out who quilts in your area. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I think too, because I'm in a bunch of different ones, like Young and Millennial Quilters is one that's really fun. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm in one for, which anyway, I don't want to talk about it, so I won't mention it. Um, But, and obviously Seam Ripper Society, Mm because I am a new admin for them, but I just, I strongly believe in the mission of that page and just to be an open learning environment for, for quilters of varying stages and yeah um anyway but a lot of times there's people in there like hey I'm in this area is anybody close by could we do like sometimes people will plan a meetup even if they're a couple hours away from each other but they'll plan a meetup in um if there's like a spot in the middle where they can meet or you know whatever so even if it's not in your same town, you might be able to find people who are just a couple hours away from you or an hour away from you or, you know, yes. closer even. And, um, yeah. And guilds, I, I agree with that too. And not all guilds are lovely. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I have been lucky to, and getting involved, I think you can't just show up and leave and expect some magic to happen. You have to be willing to like volunteer with the guild and join Mm -hmm. the small groups and participate and that's where I found found my footing in my guild as I stepped up and joined in a sort of board member role but not really a board member I'm like a subcommittee of a subcommittee kind of thing but it was low stakes but also a way for me to get in and now I've like got a great relationship with the board of the guild because I've, I've mm. shown up and I've been there and I've been a voice for my age, my age group yes. of people. Yeah. And, and not everybody's a grouchy granny. So <laughs> <laughs> not that all grannies are grouchy, but some of them are. And yeah, there's a couple. Not, yeah. There not everybody's. Deal. Yeah. 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 But yeah. yeah. And let's see what else. And now you have that in your tool belt. Like you have that committee that you mm-hmm. can call on and like help further your yep. whatever it is. So that's, you know, that's another thing to think about like professionally, if you're a business, absolutely getting, getting guilds, um, as one of your tool belt uh, on your tool belt. Okay. So professionally, mm-hmm. um, I suggest going to your local quilt shops. So mm-hmm. like, um, my local quilt shop in Manitoba, 
um, Keystone Modern Creative, they were the first ones to carry my patterns, right? Mm. Um, so making making friends with the shop owners mm -hmm. um, is, is a huge step for it's your foot in the door um, to say, hey, I'm local. I create this really cool pattern. I'm wondering if you'll have it in your shop or I'm wondering if you're wanting to have a class. Can I teach it? Mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. Um, that's a great way to put your foot in the door. And then that leads to bigger things. So for instance, like um, a quilt shop owner might know somebody in the industry, like, hey, I know the president of um, Grace Company. How would you like to, you know, I can see about you becoming an ambassador or um, like, yeah. I know, I know the owner of this um, website, um, eQuilter.com. So she got me hooked up with eQuilter.com. So they carried my patterns for a while. And that was my wow. first like wholesale, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. so that was a great way is just to start, like start learning who's in the industry and then they mm -hmm. know other people who are in the industry, right? Right. So, right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, and then like going to quilt shows, like go up to the booths mm -hmm. and like talk to the people and uh, like talk to the publishing companies um and just get some general info like that's a great way like to to figure out where you want to go in in your upcoming years being like yeah I don't know if a book is in my future but then you talk to a publishing company and you're like oh really all I have to do is kind of think of like three or four patterns that kind of are in a theme and then we can kind of run with that, you know, like yeah. I can totally do that. Right. So, um, talking to people at shows is really important. Um, mm -hmm. uh, also quilt shops have relationships with fabric companies, right. Cause mm -hmm. they're constantly ordering fabric from, from fabric companies. So they yeah. usually have a salesperson that either, um, visits their store directly or is in communication with them, via email to mm -hmm. tell them about the collections to try to get them to buy various collections blah 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 yeah. so if you know the shop owner you can get to know the salesperson and then you might be able to be carried by that fabric company right so right. there's there's ways of getting your foot in the door so um so i suggest doing that for yeah. sure yeah um and then i would say the last the last approach I would do is cold emails and cold calls. I think mm -hmm. that's the least effective, um, yeah. but it's still an option. And if you are going to do that option, I would highly suggest like having a good spread. So having not only like a product sheet that says, here's all my patterns. Um, here's what they sell retail. Here's what I sell them at wholesale. Here's what they're good for. Here's how they kit easily. Here's how they, you know, having some yeah. sort of spread, but then also having like portraying yourself in a very professional way, which often means having like professional level photography mm -hmm. for your products, for your samples, for your, for you yourself, um, just to kind of say, Hey, I'm really professional at this. You're going to want to work with me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've sent out quite a few cold emails and haven't had very many responses, but occasionally you'll get one or two. And again, that puts your foot in the door and that leads to other stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's really There's the relationships I think is where, you know, and, and I think, which this is definitely a topic we're going to get into, but just as women, I think we're generally more 
hesitant to talk about ourselves or to promote what we're doing or um ask the questions that we have Mm -hmm. about how we can be more in contact with different businesses or local you know whatever it is your guild or your even on online it's like oh I this is probably a stupid question it's like no it's not a stupid (laughs) question and if you don't tell people what you're doing how are they supposed to know Uh and so that was one thing like I definitely had decided when I quit teaching and started working in my quilting and long arming business Uh full time was I was like I'm going to tell every single person I can, if it like, isn't a weird, awkward, like, so anyway, I'm a quilter, you know, (laughs) like I have a business. Um, but I just, I talk about it as much as I can. It's like, even at the coffee drive-through, it's like, Oh, what are you doing? Oh, heading to work. Oh, what are you doing? It's like, Oh, I, I own a quilting business. And they're always like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm a quilter. Mm -hmm. And they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God. You know, it's like, they may not take a business card or it may not be for them, but it's like, they just looked at me and went, you make quilts. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I make quilts. Like (laughs) you can too, if you want, you know, it's like, it just, you don't know, it might not be a come a business contact, but then you're also putting it into someone's head that like, oh my God, that person who doesn't look like they maybe make quilts or, you know, whatever. Cause we all have visual perceptions of, or snap judgments we make based on what a person might look like or the kind of car they're driving or whatever. Um, and so just kind of breaking that stereotype too, is like, oh, yeah, for sure. to me, more important than necessarily gaining a million business contacts. But the more mm. you talk about it, the more you're in people's mind when it comes up. And it's like, I can't even tell you how many clients we've gotten because it's like, oh, I remembered you from this you know, this show or this craft fair or whatever. And I gave my card to, or your card to my friend. And then yep. that friend calls us and now we have a new job. You know, it's like yeah. trying to be in the places where you can be seen and where people obviously know what you're doing. So we have the quilt shops and the guilds and, yeah, you know, it's, I struggle. I still struggle and I'm six years in. And when people ask me, especially males, Mm -hmm. when people ask me what I do for a living, Mm -hmm. um, my go-to answer is, oh, I have a home-based business. Mm -hmm. And then if they ask like, oh, what do you do or whatever, I have a hard time actually saying the word uh, quilter Mm -hmm. because I feel like they would think less or think Mm -hmm. it's not as professional. And Um, maybe that's me because I, I have a, like a fine art background. Like I, Mm -hmm. I feel, and this is just like, I think this, it has to do, it's historical. The domestic arts were always looked on less than the fine art world. You know what I mean? Sure. Which Mm -hmm. is completely unfair, but it's historical. So, so the, it's hard for me to say quilter because it's ingrained in me that that's a step down from artist you know, sure. Which is stupid. Right. (laughs) I mean, I think in theory, like we know it sounds silly and like, Mm -hmm. we know it shouldn't be that way, but it is. It's like, yeah. If I had, if I lead with, Oh, I used to be a teacher. I have a master's degree. Like, yeah, I'm an educator. I've traveled and taught other teachers in a different country and, you know, done these things. 
And then I say, oh, but now I quilt full time. They're like, oh, that's cute. And I'm like, yes, you, you know, because it's not any easier. I mean, no, let me, let me back up. It is so much easier. I mental health wise, I'm mental health wise. I can breathe. I can exist. That being said, there is still a lot of hard work that goes into owning a creative business, whether I'm a stay at home mom or a single person just wanting to do something on my own and not fall into the status quo of just having a super stupid job that I hate that makes me feel like garbage every day. Mm-hmm. It's valuable. And I, I really hate that. Like there is such a, a down look, you know, on, on domestic crafts, because that's what mm-hmm. they're called domestic yeah. crafts. Like <laughs> Yeah. You're doing Yeah, some... and that goes into like the whole argument of craft versus art and right. blah blah blah. And there's I mean, it's just it's a huge spectrum. Right. Yeah, on one end you have a craft that's just it's it's just it's a simple craft. On the right. other hand, you have like the craziest most fine art piece ever, but there's a there's not a line separating the two. Like it's it, there's so much gray area and Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So yeah, back to, sorry. Okay. Second <laughs> question. Okay. Yeah. So the second question, this one was, uh, this one was posed by, uh, Christina from kindred, kindred quilt co. And I think Hi, Christina, yes, I know <laughs> she's been on the show. I'm pretty sure I listened to her episode. I've listened to about 20. Oh, so yeah, pretty good. Only eh? 70 more to go. No. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're what 70. I don't know. 70, uh, a lot, a lot more. I do I do need to listen to more because I find myself listening to the people I recognize because mm-hmm. I want to I, I want to support them and whatever I'm like oh there's my friend I want to listen to her episode yeah. but um uh I need to push myself like I said you got to expand your boundaries and listen to listen to other people's perspective that you aren't haven't been exposed to yet for sure right? so I gotta do that okay anyway so Christina said she wants to know how selling wholesale with shops works. And oh. I'm assuming she's talking about patterns. Um, this is a new territory for her. I think yeah. she's two or three patterns in. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I don't think at this point, she's to the point where she's printing um, patterns. It's still um, still PDF at this point. So this is, she's wondering, yeah, this is new territory for her. Okay, okay. so I have lots of info about this. Okay. So there's, I've separated it into kind of three different categories. There's the traditional way of doing selling wholesale to shops. There's kind of like the grassroots level. And then Mm -hmm. there's the forward thinking level, (laughs) which is like in the future, but we'll start with the traditional. And this is, I think what has um, been most common in the past. Um, You have a large amount of patterns printed so you order like a thousand at a time or whatever right mm-hmm. um usually you have to have a sev- several patterns underneath your belts like you have to have a good library of i'd say at least four or five mm-hmm. patterns um and you have to have good branding um like a professional website uh, and a dependable shipping system so like if if a wholesale company approaches you and says, we need a hundred of these and a hundred of these, you can get those out the door within two or three days. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the downside of, of going the traditional route is there's a huge buy-in, right? You have to have 
there's a lot of money you have to pour into getting to that level right. without even knowing if, if they're actually going to carry you. Right. So right. that's really, really hard. Um, and, uh, and it's hard to get to that level and then go and approach the wholesale carriers or the, the fabric companies or, um, the, the, what are they called? They're like distribution centers. Mm -hmm. So like, so there's fabric companies and then there's like a distribution center and then there's the local quilt shop. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like oftentimes, so like, for instance, when I order fabric, um, I order like Ruby star or something I'm ordering from a company called Trentex in Canada. So there's Moda and Ruby star, and then they sell to Trentex. And then I order from Trentex. Does that make sense? Uh So there's different levels. And so, um, your patterns could be carried by any one of those levels. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Um, the grassroots route is I think more common today. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at least, and this is the route that I took. Um, I printed a small amount um, and uh, I approached my local quilt shop or my local quilt guild, like I said before, and said, Hey, I'm, local would you think about selling this year right yeah there are upsides to doing that um they you can display your own samples in the shop right Mm -hmm. um and that carries a lot of weight um and and shops are are more willing to carry your patterns when they have an amazing sample to go with it because that sells kits Yep. And we all know that uh, shops make more from fabric sales than they do from pattern sales. So if they're willing to sell fabric with your pattern, they're a lot more willing to carry your pattern. Yeah. Um, so I did want to shout out some of the amazing shops that that helped me get to where I am because they deserve a shout out. And if you're if you're a Canadian designer or an indie designer like me, um, they're great shops to work with. So Keystone mm-hmm. Modern Creative, they're in Manitoba. They love uh, Canadian designers and they love up and coming and emerging designers. Um, also Peace Fabric Co. Peace as in like a piece of fabric. Mm-hmm. Peace Fabric Co. Also a Canadian company. They love working with up and coming indie designers. Um, Kendra's amazing. She is a good resource to have you got to put her in, in your tool belt, (laughs) um, quilting from the heart. They're also a Canadian one. Um, they, uh, they love up and coming too. Okay. And then, um, I have one in the U S uh, wildwood creative is a very forward thinking quilt shop. Mm -hmm. Um, Tawny, the owner there loves supporting, um, emerging artists, um, and making kits and getting your stuff out, out and expose uh, like good exposure yeah. and thinking outside the box, which we'll talk about, which we'll talk about in just a second with the forward thinking group. Um, okay. So once you get into one shop, you're going to want to email the shops that are around that one shop mm-hmm. <laughs> and say, Hey, so-and-so is carrying me. Would you be interested in carrying me as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing to think about is try to find shops that are your vibe. There are a lot of shops that like mine are super modern patterns. The traditional quilt shops that only carry civil war era fabrics are not going to be interested in my stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No, like yeah. know the audience that you're trying to sell to, to sell you yep. like, yeah, that's a huge, yeah. huge thing. <laughs> yep. Okay. Now let's talk about the forward thinking. Uh, this is part that I'm so excited about the future of, of quilt patterns and quilt patterns in shops. Um, have you ever thought about PDF wholesale? No. I know, right? So I, I was so. talking, I think I was actually talking to Christina from Kindred Quilt Co about this. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that shops can buy um, your patterns at wholesale, but it's a PDF. So they have the, the you know, the licensing or, or the rights or whatever, the permission mm -hmm. to sell, you know, 10 copies of your PDF. Um, and so you're like, well, how does a shop sell a PDF? Well, yeah. what if they have kits and they have a sample um, displayed and then next to it, they have a card with a QR code <laughs> and that's how people buy the PDF pattern. Because so yeah. many of us, especially in our generation, we're totally cool with a PDF pattern that doesn't right. scare us at all. You know, in fact, sometimes we prefer it. Mm -hmm. um, and so to walk into your quilt shop and see, oh, I love that kit. Oh, here's a QR code thing. I got the PDF right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, quilt shops might be open to that. So yeah, that's a cool idea. She's definitely looking into that. Um, that's the upside of that is that low overhead for, for you as a designer, you don't have to worry about printing patterns and all that, all that, um, extra costs. I mean, PDF patterns, more wallet or more money in your wallet, mm -hmm. um, for sure, because it's very, very low cost, like a listing fee or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just cents, just a couple cents or whatever. And, yeah. and so you're banking a lot of that, um, of that pattern sale, as opposed to printed where you're right. only banking a few dollars. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, another way to get your foot in the door selling wholesale is to approach guilds or uh, sew along groups or bees and say, I'd be willing to sell you, um, you know, 10 patterns for 50% off that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, and that's a great way to grow outside of your immediate area. For instance, like one of my first guilds that bought patterns wholesale for me um, was a guild in Dubai. Yeah, really? I know. Right. And so now I have all these quilting friends that are in Dubai and they send me pictures of the stuff that they made. And they, they, they even sent me this beautiful ornate embroidered scarf from Dubai all the way, all the way to Canada. <gasps> oh, yeah. So just expanding, so cool. expanding that way is really cool too. So yeah. anyway, so that's, that's Christina's question. Did you have any, um, before I move on to the next question, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> um, I do. And I think because I, you know, I work from both PDF and printed pattern. Um, sometimes I prefer the PDF because one, I don't have to store the pattern. Yeah. Physical pattern. Um, we do. And I say we, because if anybody doesn't know, I, outside of the show, I have a quilting business with my mm -hmm. mom and we run our business out of her home. And so when I am referencing we, it's usually me and my mom. Um, but anyway, we have a giant binder full of patterns that, and we even pared down. We like went through and we're like, okay, we're not using this, da, 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 whatever. Gave them away for free. The ones we weren't using, we did not just throw them away. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> um, 
but it's just so nice like to have no we've got a bunch saved on the computer pdf we can print pages we need certain copies of or if we want to print it we can um but we can print it in a way that is more functional for us and like because I scribble notes all over my patterns that I'm using because I like a good girl read through them and (laughs) like yeah make notes for myself so I can remember certain things or if I can come up with a shortcut for something that I'm like I don't need to do it that way I can actually do it this way it's gonna be 10 times easier because maybe you know that person just didn't think of that and their writing style is different whatever right so I do like that freedom and if I mark up a printed pattern I feel like I'm like one that I purchased that was already printed I feel like I'm ruining it. Whereas if I just make mm. marks on the copy, I've already printed myself because I wanted to be able to do that. Um. Anyway, so those are kind of just my quick thoughts on my own experiences, but I love, I love your idea of a sellable PDF because not only could people access your pattern PDF if they don't want the kit mm-hmm. still, but even if they want the kit, like, you know, if, if a shop, sorry, let me collect my thoughts for just two seconds because <laughs> this just popped in my head. So yes. I worked at one of the local quilt shops here for a little mm-hmm. bit and um, just kind of getting to see some of the things that were going on. They sell a lot of kits there in that mm-hmm. shop and they mm-hmm. make a lot of kits and there'd be times where people come in, they'd want the kit and the pattern, but we were out of the pattern. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is like what immediately popped in my head when you were talking about it. Cause I was like, oh my God, that would solve this problem. Yes. Whereas if you could just have a card that came in the kit that had the PDF or the QR code for the PDF in it. Yeah. So then people can choose to buy the PDF or if they want a physical copy, maybe there's still physical copies in the store as well. Yeah. And yeah. so that person then gets to choose which way they want to access it. And And I love that concept because I think the more accessible we make quilting, the better, because um, the more I dive into my own privilege and my own, you know, ease of access to things, um, the more I realize how inaccessible quilting can be for a lot of folks. And so the, the idea of of adding a level of accessibility to me is so meaningful because it acknowledges that not everybody can use a physical copy Mm -hmm. or wants to use a physical copy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is forward thinking because then it's less waste on people who don't want the physical copy. Yeah. They want the kit, but they don't want to have to have the physical copy with the kit. They don't want to buy the pattern separately from getting the kit because a lot of times when you get the kit with the pattern it's included in the price and yada yada so yes hope that made sense sometimes I just say a lot of words really fast and hope but Mm. I love that I really and even if you're like say like you're an online fabric shop you don't even have a brick and mortar shop like Mm -hmm. working with a designer to have the pattern on your website Mm -hmm. um in addition to you know their website yeah. Um, uh, yeah, options got to think outside the box. I'm excited for that forward thinking. Yeah. How it's going to shift, but yeah, quilting is it's, oh my goodness. It's expensive. Okay. So this leads <laughs> to perfectly to the next question. 
Okay, great. Okay, this one was from Tori at um, Mountain Air Handmade. So it's spelled um, M-T-N. So it's like mountain, but shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, Air, A-I-R, and then handmade. Um, love her. Totally should follow her. Um, she's tested for me. And even, I think she even um, uh, tech edited for me once, if I remember correctly. Oh, um, yeah. Great resource. Great resource. Okay. So she asked um, how the cost of living crisis um, is impacting the quilting community. Mm-hmm. I know. Right. So mm-hmm. perfect, a perfect segue. Okay. Yes, girl. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we, we kind of touched on this to begin with, but on an individual mm-hmm. level, obviously it's getting more and more expensive to, to have this as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, which makes it difficult for people to get into this hobby. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are a lot of people where they can't afford a crazy expensive sewing machine right. um, or they can't afford all the latest and greatest quilting cottons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you find a lot of people sewing from your stash, which I think is actually a great, a great thing that we're seeing within the community is yes. the um, acceptance. Because I think before sewing from your stash was kind of like, oh, you can't afford the, you know, the newest rifle paper companies and you're using like <laughs> four years ago, like, Ooh, or mm-hmm. no, I like this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but we're seeing more people sewing from their stash and, or even like upcycling fabrics and, and mm-hmm. that's becoming more popular. I love that trend. Um, yes. okay. So yeah, here's the downside of having such a high cost of living is that we, as as consumers are feeling more pressure to buy, like Mm -hmm. the ads are crazy and, um, and shops are trying to survive. And so they're pushing products and they're pushing sales and they're pushing Mm -hmm. newsletters. And it's just like, it's like constant, constant, please buy, please buy. We're trying to survive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so that's really, that's really, really tricky. Um, Mm -hmm another cost, like the cost of living, uh, we're having to work more. Our stress levels are higher. We perhaps less have less time to sew. Um, mm-hmm. and because we have less time to sew or because the people who, I mean, there are people where the cost of living is, is definitely impacting their life. And then there's the people that the cost of living is not necessarily impacting their life. Right. And so it varies. the ones who are being impacted are, possibly sewing less and they're so they're posting less and so therefore mm-hmm. their voices are not as elevated does that make mm-hmm. sense yep absolutely um whereas on the other end the people where the cost of living doesn't even affect them they're still pumping out the beautiful pictures right and left and they're getting elevated mm-hmm. within our community which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a healthy thing no um so yeah. we're losing our our um Oh, I forget the word, our, our, uh, variety, our yeah. variety of voices that we're hearing and seeing within our, um, community, but, Absolutely. um, yeah. Okay. So the second area that the cost of living is impacting is small shops, mm-hmm. um, which is, so, <laughs> it's just so, so hard. Um, so yeah. I feel like there's kind of two different worlds within the small shopping community or small shop community Mm -hmm. there's one which is like the long established quilt shop that caters to the more traditional quilters they have a very strong 
long-term customer base that's been shopping with them for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes those customers are part of the group where the cost of living does not necessarily impact. Yep. Um, and uh, man, I'm, I'm starting to see some of those places be affected though. Yeah. And I think it's because their customer base is aging out mm-hmm. or um, uh, there's, they're seeing that their product is not necessarily popular anymore. <laughs> right. No, I, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's still like, it's still, I, I don't want to, uh, imply that like the modern quilting world, the more modern looking fabrics are taking over the tradition. It's right. not like, I'm going to share a statistic later on that will, yeah tell you that it's still like we're still just a tiny little blip in the quilting world as far as like the modern yeah like absolutely yeah I was just gonna say um, yeah go ahead oh I was just gonna say these these traditional shops I think they're seeing that um that they're having to go online more or be more uh involved in social media aspects and Mm -hmm they're, they're either embracing that and they're doing a good job or they're not. And it's, it's affecting their business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say just kind of, cause you had shared some articles and statistics with me and just one of the things that I noticed, which I'm sure you're going to bring up too, is just the, the average demographic of quilter isn't really changing. And so, but at the same time, like that might still be the same as far as like, you know, 50 plus year old white women who make Mm -hmm. above the standard median of living, you know? Yes. Um, but there's a lot more non-traditional voices that are being raised and maybe they don't view themselves as necessarily like quilters. And so, I don't know. I just think there's more factors that might impact how a person could answer those, the survey questions that were Mm -hmm. were given, but also like so many people are like, because of the, the change in cost of living are staying out of their local shops. They are focusing on what can they sew with what they have and Mm -hmm. can they thrift or swap or, I mean, just this is going to come out in February, but in January, um, the Seam River Society Facebook group did a big stash swap where, uh-huh. um, if anybody in the group had things that they wanted to get rid of out of, out of what they had, um, they could post it up and people could claim it. They just had to pay the shipping for it. And, you know, Sweet. that was a great way for a lot of people to get new to them fabric that someone loved, but baby didn't need the scraps for him was just hanging around because yeah. it's like I do the same thing I hang on to stuff because I'm like well I can't get rid of that one inch strip because I love that fabric so much and it's not serving any purpose you know but anyway yeah so I think there's just a lot of different things going on too where people are finding ways to make sure that they keep their craft alive because yep. because they know they can't afford to go to the local shop and yeah the more traditional shops are I think you're right. They're in a sink or swim moment where they're either going to embrace what is going to help them grow, or mm. they're going to hold on to the old ways and, and eventually they'll die out because if you're not, not literally, 
no well kind of literally the business (laughs) yeah people I mean people die but Mm -hmm. um but the business might might peter Mm -hmm. out because if you're not growing then you're dying it's like businesses don't just stay stagnant they don't just stay at one level like you either grow or you don't and so yeah I just think it's interesting to watch how that's impacted it's definitely like made me take a step back because I was in that same like I have to get the new the newest and enter fabric line here you know whatever it was and I have all this fabric now that I'm just sitting on because I'm like well I spent a million dollars on it it's out of print now so I know that I could get a million dollars for it but (laughs) (laughs) but I still really love it so I want to do something with it but it's like yeah I it's it's a tricky spot to be in but anyway oh for sure um but yeah that was a great question because I think it really is impacting more people than I think what Instagram like you're saying shows and I think yes that's one thing that is kind of a downside is is you're right the the people who aren't being as impacted or maybe are portraying that they're not being as impacted Mm -hmm. are the ones that are getting getting the attention and the the views because yeah, like you said, maybe people aren't sewing as much or maybe they're just not necessarily feeling as proud of what they're making because it's not with the latest and greatest yes. fabric line yeah. or what's yeah. popular at the moment. But I agree with you. Like I didn't have a lot of money to get into quilting when I did and um, shameless plug for previous episodes, but I did a, a little series of like how to get into quilting as a beginner and do it inexpensively. And so I shared, yeah. you know, here's an inexpensive type of machine and I still have that same machine yeah. and it still works like a charm. You know, it's like, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get into it. Yes. And yes. And I would love for myself too. So I'm not saying this as like, everybody else should do this, but not me. Um, <laughs> but I love to see when people come up with creative things for their scraps or what they have around the house. And um, Amory yeah. of Next Gen Quilting, I had her on also previously yeah she's the queen of repurposing things and Mm -hmm. that's how she got started quilting and still does it and she's she shows you know exactly where what material she's using where it came from how she was able to like I mean she's sourced Liberty of London which I know a lot of people have just from garments that she thrifted or found on resale for super super cheap and so that's amazing deconstructs these garments to end up with yardage and then she can make a new project from it so it's like there's there are people out there doing it and showing you how yeah I think leaning into it is um and being proud of of sharing it I think like you said it's kind of that moment of like when it used to be cringy for you know oh your mom made your outfit kind of thing like ew you sewed your own clothes like yeah you weren't cool if you didn't shop at the department store kind of thing yeah so it feels like you know sewing with your stash or sewing with with what you already have or with thrifted items can kind of feel that way for people I think but mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. Aaron, who is the original seam ripper society that was her original instagram tag so yeah Aaron. um she is a is a a thrifty quilter as well. She thrifts yeah. a lot of her fabrics and sources them from from secondhand shops or just from other means besides going to the quilt shop. And um, yeah, 
And so she does a lot of that sharing as well. And, and she's proud of it and her makes her beautiful. And you would never know if she wasn't like this right here was a men's shirt. And this right here was, you know, a different blanket. And this right here was, it's like, you would never, ever even question it. So Mm -hmm. I think, but sharing it brings it to light. And, and I think the more we can, can lift those voices, the, the better we're going to be in, in building a more inclusive space back to accessibility. Like, yep this doesn't have to be like the rich popular kids club you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't just be that either so anyway yeah (laughs) yeah oh geez okay the second type of quilt shop I want to talk about is not Mm -hmm. the long-term established traditional quilt shop it's the Mm -hmm. next-gen quilt shop a lot of them are online Mm -hmm. um there are some brick and mortar ones um also living is man it is that's what I see that I think that's the most visible to us at least on Instagram is seeing um our friends having to close up shop or um having to completely switch directions in how they approach their business because of cost of living and and um man it's hard it's hard I see Mm -hmm. a lot of shops the ones that are um that are surviving they seem to have found a niche mm-hmm. and so instead of carrying like all the fabrics yeah they're like hey I'm only gonna do art gallery mm-hmm. and and then this one line of solids right mm-hmm. and then like they almost like they tailor that to their brand so like the colors right. that they carry the kits that they that they fill and stuff like that it's all kind of like part of like a brand aesthetic and yeah um, if you love that aesthetic, you're going to be, you know, kind of loyal to that company, which is, which is a good approach. So I see yeah. that approach. Um, I also see a lot of um, small business quilt shops, like burnout on social media. It's, it's really, really sad to see. Yeah. Um, and I think as a community, um, we should be supporting our small businesses as much as possible, yes. as much as possible. I mean, because I mean, think about how much I have talked about this whole time about how your local quilt shop is your foot in the door. Like Mm -hmm. that is your entry point. And like, they're going to be the most loyal to you. They're the best contacts. They're your friends. I mean, Mm -hmm. the large corporations, everything else is just, it's not personal, it's business, but your local quilt shop, it's personal. (laughs) Right, right. And, And so I feel like, like, it's a very symbiotic relationship. Like when, when a designer works with a quilt shop, both of them really um, benefit from that. It's a very mm-hmm. symbiotic relationship. And so yeah. um, we as designers should be supporting our, our local quilt shops as much as possible. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I think another reason why they are um, suffering a little bit is because um, the large mega corporations are are growing within the quilting community so you can now get liberty at joann's you know what i mean yeah (laughs) you can now get fabric on amazon right and (laughs) and so which um is is kind of great for that first uh group that we were talking about where the cost of living is impacting them they can now get supplies for cheaper yes on you know online or whatever but um but it's ultimately harming that that local quilt shop right so it's I mean it pros and cons pros Mm -hmm. and cons um but again like the 
the downside of the large corporation thing is that like the quality is going to be unreliable. Um, their, their products, what they offer is going to shift with demand. And so like, you might be over, be able to order something from them. And then a year later, when you want to restock, they're not going to even have it anymore because right. they don't even offer that anymore. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, like I said, it's, I think it's overall not necessarily healthy for community relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's hard to tell somebody not to buy something on Amazon when they can get it for so much cheaper than if they went to their local quilt shop. But at the same time, it's like I'm always saying, like, shop your local quilt shop. Like, I'm with you. You got to go build your relationships there. It's like, that is a starting point. That is where you get your foot in the door. And that's where, when you make relationships, people remember your name and they know to talk about you. It's like, yeah, that's where you can start building your, your community of people who have your back and want to support your side of the business too. Right. Mm -hmm. So for sure, it's just such an interesting time we're in and, and it's that balance. Cause it's like, we can't do everything. Can't do everything that would be necessary to like stop big corporations and also shop local and you know like all the things it's just like not not one person can save the the world from climate change like but if we all do something small then it helps the overall impact right so it's I feel like it's kind of the same here it's like when you can support your local shops please do if you can't Like, then do what you have to do. If this is your creative outlet, if this is what you love to do, then rip up old shirts that you haven't worn in two years. Because if I have some in my closet, I know you do too. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like experiment with different fabrics just because you can. And, you know, it's, there's no rules and there's no limit. And I think that's where, what comes from kind of the, super curated Instagrams and the more traditional quilt shops is this idea that there's certain rules that have to be followed or you're not a quilter. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, with, with financial crisis on the brink, like <laughs> it's yeah. the cost of living, not caring whether your state's minimum wage can even cover the rent, the lowest yes. rent of of an apartment like yeah of course quilting is going to be on the very back burner for some people but there are ways to make it happen if it's something that you truly love and it is your outlet of choice mm-hmm. if you're a yeah. serial hob- hobbyist then good for you pick up something that doesn't cost anything you know it's yeah. like, <laughs> do what you gotta do to keep making yeah that. anyway yeah it feels so funny to be talking about quilting in conjunction with the cost of living because it's it seems so frivolous right it does the act of oh but like you said like it is your preferred out and it is so my preferred outlet like it Mm -hmm. is such medicine for me you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's it's, and so when I think of it that way then I then I know can um, put some more importance on it and then right trying to find a way to do it 
there's one more question before we get to the juicy one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this one's actually about shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this one's from Julia. And um, you're going to want to know Julia because uh, she co-owns the Grace Company, um, like the Canadian branch, like so in, in Canada, um, the Grace Company. And her uh, tag mm-hmm. or handle is um, J-E-C-A-H-O-O-N-2-6. Um, and her name's Julia. So, okay. And she's, she's young in our generation. She just barely, uh, from what I know, she just barely took over the company from her husband's parents. So new generation running the Grace Company in Canada um, would love to work with up and coming people. Okay. So her question was about shipping, um, small businesses versus mega corporations like Amazon. Mm. Um, Customers are so out of touch. Yes. Yes, they are. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just have to say really quickly because as a small business who ships quilts, like the price of shipping goes up and then my customers get mad at me and I'm like I literally have no control over the cost of shipping. Mm-hmm. Like I'm using sources that make it less expensive, but like when the cost of a of a stamp goes up like 20 cents, I mm-hmm. can't help you. Like mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. I just had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Okay, so luckily, so my husband, he uh his uh professional background is in logistics, so literally mm-hmm. shipping. And um so I kind of picked his brain a little bit cuz I was like, okay, I have I have some guesses of why such and such. Let me just mm-hmm. check with you and make sure. So he he helped me um, figure this out. So as far as like the difference between shipping small business and Amazon, Amazon can offer their shipping fast and cheap because mm-hmm. of what's called economies of scale. So mm. um, like the difference in uh, shipping one small item versus an entire pallet of that same, you know, like yeah. a thousand of the same item. Um, uh, it's kind of a curve, right? So the cost right. of shipping one and the cost of shipping like a thousand right. um, goes all the way down. Um, and then also, um there's something called, uh, I can't remember what he called it. Dang it, I should have written it down, but it's like the number of stops uh, an item has to make. Mm, so when I, sure. when you ship, when I ship a quilt top to you, mm-hmm. it's not getting on a truck and driving directly to your house. Right. It's going to a center, then it's combined and then it's put on an airplane and then it's broken apart and then it's, yep. you know, put on a truck. And so, right. The more points of, mm-hmm. of, uh, interest there are, the higher your your cost is going to go up, obviously. Yeah. Um, whereas Amazon, it's literally like from one warehouse to another warehouse, put on a truck to your house. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. a lot less stops there. Right. Um, they have warehouses in multiple locations all over North America, all over the world, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so chances are when you order uh, a tube of mascara it's probably coming from your state you know <laughs> like because yeah. because it's already there um so right also they are sh- the moment that you click buy a machine is putting it in a box you know what i mean like it's like crazy like that right whereas me as a small business 
it doesn't make sense for me to go to the post office twice a day. Right. Or even once a day. And in fact, um, like I ship through Canada post and every Tuesday I get a discount. So I will try to save orders for Tuesday. So I end up going maybe twice a week, Tuesdays, Thursday or Friday, right. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take orders to the post office. Um, so you have to think about that. It takes a couple of days for, for people to build up enough orders to make it worth their time to do all that and go to the post office and blah, blah, blah. Um, one thing I will say is that, um, a majority of my customers are in the States and I'm in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at the beginning, when I was selling printed patterns, um, I would without fail, get at least one or two emails a week. Like, Hey, do you know where my pattern is? And, um, because I was sending them, uh, snail mail, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. so it would cost like what, $3 and 50 cents or something like that to send a printed pattern in a nice rigid envelope. Yeah. Um, but no tracking obviously for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, it would take like up to two weeks for it to get there. So I'd always get emails. Do you know where my pattern is? Do you know where my pattern? No, I have no tracking. You did not pay for tracking. Right. <laughs> um, uh, it usually takes about this long. I haven't lost a shipment yet. Just right. be patient, blah, blah, blah. Right. I got so sick of receiving those emails that eventually I was like, you know what? If they're going to purchase from me directly, I'm only going to offer tracked shipping. Mm-hmm. And so that's something you can do in your shop is you have yeah. control over the levels of, of shipping people can select. And so yeah. from now on, I only offer track shipping, which is right. tricky mm-hmm. um, because that means that if you buy a, a, you know, a $15 printed pattern for me, you're going to pay nine or $10 in shipping, which is crazy, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to be tracked and it's going to get there in three or four days, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah um, pros and cons, but yeah, that's yeah. what I have to say about shipping is be kind. Remember, we're trying to support our small businesses that with our dollars, but also with our patience. <laughs> yes. 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 And I think that's it is even like platforms like Etsy that offer discounted shipping to sellers and, mm-hmm. um, a smoother process. There's still hiccups. There's still, you know, they, we got an email from Etsy recently being like, Hey, the price of postage is going up. So Mm. you'll, you will see that reflected in the cost of shipping on your items. And it's like, and they really, as a platform, they really try to force free shipping because they're trying to compete with Amazon and, and big companies that can offer free shipping on most of their items, Mm. but it's not feasible. It's like, I cannot offer free shipping on a quilt that costs someone $2,000 yeah. for me to make yeah, and feel peace of mind about that. Because for one thing, I want to know that I've got control over, like you said, the tracking and the type of post it is. And if I need to expedite it and, mm-hmm. and so like, while I understand why they're doing what they're doing, I also think it, it gives people this false idea that there should be free shipping for everything. Because mm-hmm. some things just what you get with that is not worth it. Like yeah. you really want to yeah. spend this much money on, on a custom made item just to have it shipped normal, like yeah. <laughs> with yeah. no insurance, no, you know, it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's 
bananas. And I think, I think Julie is right. People are kind of out of touch with that because if they only ever shop from like Amazon or places mm-hmm. that can offer that, they don't really realize mm-hmm. what it truly costs to ship things as a small business who aren't yeah. shipping pallets and crates of things. Yes. We're just shipping you your one item. So exactly. Another thing um, with large businesses is that they, um, they have the wiggle room to even offer, to offer free, like for instance on Amazon, free shipping on, on lots of different things, hands down, they're losing money on some, some things, mm-hmm. um, but they make up for it in other ways. So like, for instance, Costco, you know, Costco has their, their little restaurant in front. They yeah. lose money on that restaurant. Yeah. But and they will come in and spend $300 every time they walk exactly. in the door and grab exactly. a slice of pizza on their way out. And they're mm-hmm. like, cool, we don't care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and like my husband used to work for, um, for a company that worked a lot with, um, grocery stores, grocery mm-hmm. stores often lose money on milk, oh. um, but people come into the grocery store for milk mm-hmm. and they buy other things. And so that's why grocery stores are okay setting their milk prices at a certain level, even though they're losing money on it. So with small businesses, we can't do that. We can't offer free shipping on whatever, because we can't afford to lose money on this order and make money on this order. We have to be able to make money on all the orders. Right. right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a totally different ball game when you're a mass production company versus a, a design house or a custom you know it's like every single not every single thing because sometimes fabric goes out the door but almost every single item that I send out the door is a custom unique piece so it's Mm -hmm. like I I don't have just like you said there's not a lot of wiggle room for small businesses to be losing money on certain things Mm -hmm. because we're not mass producing and selling things that are big huge money makers on top of you know the other little things. So yeah, it's just an interesting perspective and it's, it's hard. Cause it's that it's kind of a cost of living thing too, to not really, if you don't have to pay attention to those kinds of things as yeah. much, but you only pay attention when it seems to be costing you more. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know, maybe you don't think about it as much when you don't have to, or I almost feel like the people who, and I don't want to lump everybody in again, this is just like what I've seen in my experience and this isn't pointed at anyone in particular. So asterisks, anyway. asterisks, asterisks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My uh, disclaimer back in effect, but it's like, there's a, there's like a point you hit where like you have enough money to not really necessarily care about the fact that shipping costs $10, but you mm-hmm. do care because, because you're in a mindset that like everybody's out to get you. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's a group of some quilters that are in that mindset yeah. um, of a certain age. And so, so a lot of the grumpiness comes from that kind of realm. Of, mm-hmm. of thinking and and then there's the people who care about the cost of shipping because 
the cost of living is impacting them greatly. And it does matter that their shipping is costing $10 versus free or $2, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's like two spectrums of like why people care about and not only two or not spectrums, but like kind of two big main camps of people who care about the cost of shipping. So it's like, yeah, it's hard to know too, like, which is which. And I, I think because saying like, this shipping is really high and I can barely afford rent, but I'm splurging on this thing for myself. Like that feels indulgent and that feels bad based on mm-hmm. puritanical culture norms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but then there's some people who are like, this shipping's ridiculous and I shouldn't have to pay it. And I was like, well, you do have to pay it if you want this thing <laughs> from me. So yeah, where are we at grandma? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. It's just an interesting kind of thing I've seen on my end coming out of the woodwork of all of this, like Amazon era. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, Amazon. I know. Making and breaking us since what? 1997. I don't know. Oh, geez. All right. Are you ready for, for the big one? I I'm super ready. I love juicy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this actually is two questions and, and they were so similar that I kind of morphed them into one. So the first Mm -hmm. part was from uh, my bestie um, page from Ponderosa creative. Mm -hmm. Um, We are besties. So um, she wanted to talk about the devaluation of quilting linked to misogyny and patriarchy. She's my fellow, like down with the patriarchy sister. So, um, love that. We're totally going to get into it. And the second part of that, uh, question is actually from, um, mayor and her handle is handmade goods by mayor and mayor is spelled M A Y R E. Mm. Um, she makes some amazing quilted handmade goods. Um, okay. And she wants to know, uh, what to consider when pricing handmade items. So Mm-hmm. those are going to go together I promise but mm-hmm. first I'm going to share some stats with you um okay so how many people do you think quilt <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a we know it's a big industry yeah. um, but approximately 3.3 million people in the United States have made a quilt within three years of 2017 so that's a lot of people Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people, but also kind of small. Um, anyway, so it's a lot, but it's also a niche, a very small niche. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned this earlier. The average, the average quilter is 60 years old and female, mm-hmm. which we already kind of knew about that. Mm-hmm. But this is what I found interesting. Oh, also, I'm pretty sure we're going to share the link to these stats yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, yep, so I definitely will. Mm-hmm. I'm not just pulling this out of my butt. Anyway, <laughs> um, the average quilter is 60 years old and female. Also, the um, their household income is 65K plus. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's a pretty high income, especially for a 60-year-old woman. Yeah. So that kind of, it's not like a full-time working 30-year-old person with a high-paying job. Right. This is a an older generation woman who still has 65 plus coming in every mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Okay. Um, so here's a very interesting stat. 
17.5% of average quilters have full-time jobs. So that means if we do the math, that means that what 82.5% of quilters uh, do not have full-time jobs. So mm -hmm. that either means that they're retired and they're at home. They don't need to have a job outside or, you know, they don't need mm -hmm. to have a job. They have some sort of partner or situation where they don't need to work or they are working um, part-time and um, have to make that work yeah. for their income. So yeah, yeah. Um, but 22% of quilters earn their primary income from quilting. Like that blew my mind. I thought it was going to be less than that. 22% wow. of all quilters mm -hmm. earn their primary income from quilting. That's where I'm, I'm in that. Yeah, I am too. I am That's too. Crazy. Hmm. That's a big percentage. Like it was, it's bigger than I thought it would be for sure too. Like that's bananas. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. So when we talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit about fair compensation. Is that okay with you? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that, that statistic, 22% of quilts quilters earn their mm -hmm. primary income from quilting. So that means that the, that the money that they are bringing in is from this community, mm -hmm. from their interactions with this community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we think a lot about uh, fair compensation, compensating quilt testers, um, fair compensation within like ambassadorships, or um, so many other different areas, um, fabric design. Um, mm -hmm. We have to realize that the people who are um, don't have that income of sixty five plus, and they're not sixty years old plus. Mm -hmm. um, they are <laughs> their main source of income is coming from this this community, right? And so to so to hear people say like, oh, I just do this for fun. I don't expect to be paid or um, like uh, I do this for the free fabric. Um, you have to kind of think, are you, are you speaking to that part of the community that makes 65 plus that doesn't need this as an income? Mm -hmm. Or are you speaking to that 22%, that 22%, it's a pretty large percentage of quilters that are yeah. like, no, I, I need this. I, I, I need this. Yeah. Right. This is and my career. <laughs> exactly. And not only that, but when society is telling me that this isn't necessarily worth a lot, mm -hmm. then I'm kind of fighting against that and saying, please pay me more Then then it's hard. It's totally hard. And yep. so I think, um, I think you kind of have to check yourself mm -hmm. and say, okay, where do I fit in that spectrum? Am I making more than 65 plus? Um, is there another source of income that makes it so that I don't have to make money on quilting? How should I use my voice in this position? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's right. me. Right. So I, I have a partner. I have a husband who makes a strong enough income that I do not necessarily need to work out of the home. Now, as my kids get older, um, 
I'm feeling the pressure to start start uh, producing more income to to um, put towards family finances, but it's not this like if I didn't work, we'd be fine. Yeah. And so I I have to I have to realize that I'm in that I'm in that group right. that, <laughs> that uh, is making sixty five plus that can afford to say, oh, I just do this for fun. I just do this for the free fabric. You know, mm-hmm. I do it to help my friends. Um, but I'm completely leaving out that 22% that relies on this for their, their main income. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and which voice needs to be elevated? Cause I'm part of the crazy ma- majority, right? I'm yeah. part of that, like that can afford quilting yeah. and, um, and doesn't even bat an eye, you know, like I can, I can do this for fun mm-hmm. if I wanted. Yeah. Um, but does my voice need to be elevated or does this voice need to be elevated over here? The yeah. ones that, um, are, are trying to make a full-time income out of this, that, um, that are, are not as privileged. Yeah. And that definitely, there's so much potential there so right. much potential like we talk we talked at the beginning about um how quilters can be so um so close mind that you can get close minded because you're only exposing yourself to to you know traditional blocks or yeah. what you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and it you're in your it, bubble yeah mm-hmm. it puts you in a bubble and therefore your your level of creativity is low mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> We have to think about like bursting that bubble and elevating voices that have, yeah, have, right. don't feel like they have a place here. But right. yeah. Oh, geez. I know. I know. <laughs> like this is so loaded, <laughs> but also so important to talk about because I think even in that majority demographic of like the 60 plus making 65 plus K a year, yeah, whether yeah. they're doing it themselves or that's their household income. Yeah. Because they have a, a, you know, a partner, a spouse that can, that is bringing that money in and the money they make from quilting, if they make money from quilting, doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Like I can kind of understand where like, because they're the majority of the quilting, the people in the quilting industry and the quilters making the quilts, like I can understand why they might feel threatened and get grouchy about people like you and me who are questioning that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to make anybody feel bad for their approach to their business. No. Right. No. I mean, And, and I don't think that either one of us is out to do that. I just think like, but because those people are in their bubble and I think for them, maybe, maybe the life they lived is, or that, and that they are living is a way, you know, in a way it pushed the mold in some way. Right. And so they feel Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. being lumped into a certain category is discounting that they worked really hard at whatever, if they had a career, if they had a job path, if they're retired now, like, it's like, yeah, great. But like, if you are also still getting in the way of younger generations changing things to keep making it even better be building on the work that you did in your generation like you're not any better and so 
I think we kind of mentioned behind the scenes as we were discussing like what we were going to be talking about today. Um, like that patriarchy and that kind of misogyny of looking at quilting as a business is just mm-hmm. so baked in that we even fight against ourselves as women in business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not like news or new to anybody, hopefully, because it's pretty widely shared out there and known out there that it's like women are pitted against each other so often. And if it has not escaped the quilting world, it has not escaped any space where women, you know, meet or, Mm -hmm. or take up space. It's like, we're taught to view each other as competition and as like a threat. And until we start questioning that and questioning why we're viewing ourselves as an enemy, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can't even start to dismantle it or make it better. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, uh, so I'm, um, LDS or Mormon mm-hmm. and, um, I, so this, this idea of, doing things for free or out of the goodness of my heart Mm. or just trying to, um, you know, lift each other up and, and not, you know, try to look for compensation on my end. It's really baked into my religion as Mm -hmm. well. I mean, we even promise to like devote all of our time and talents to, to, to the church. (laughs) So (laughs) so I think as women, um, Mm -hmm. especially we're like, you know, I, I can do that for free. I will do that out of the goodness of my heart. Right. Um, I think you can, you can hold that, but you can also in the same hand hold, I am worth, you know, I'm, my skills are worth compensation. You can right. do those at the same time. I think oftentimes we, um, it's like one or the other and it's not. So, okay. Right. So I actually have I want to read directly from an article and this is from like, um, Stanford university, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a study that was done there. Okay. So everyone knows that on average women earn less than men for the same work. So we see that in industries outside of quilting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, social, uh, social psychological (laughs) research conducted in the 1970s and 80s suggested that women even pay themselves less than men pay themselves Mm -hmm. but uh this is in the 70s and 80s right so it seems like today's women especially young well-educated women would have higher self-esteem and stronger sense to entitlement than women of 10 or 20 years to go 10 or 20 years ago but it's Mm -hmm. not true. Isn't that crazy? It's still not true. We're still, we're still like, we're Mm -hmm. still feeling that even in this generation. Yeah. So women pay themselves 18% less than men paid themselves for the same work. Yeah. Which is bonkers. When I read that, I was like, are you fucking serious? I know, right? <laughs> okay, so when we talk about Mare's question of um, what to consider when pricing handmade items, well, think of a really good high price and then um, increase it by 18%. Right? That's <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, and just to speak to this because I'm a millennial, which I'm not afraid to tell everyone and mm-hmm. it's the platform of this show is navigating quilt the quilting world as a millennial 
Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom is Gen X. Mm-hmm. So even that jump is like, the fear is real. Like the yeah. idea that women's work is worth less is just so strong in so yeah. many people. And it's like, and I was raised in that environment too. I mean, my mm-hmm. religion also not LDS, but you know, yeah. a crystal, a Christian based religion. It's that whole puritanical patriarchal, like women's work is silent and over here. We do it out of the goodness of our hearts. You do it because you're yes. a good person. And if you don't, you're a mm-hmm. terrible, terrible person <laughs> and don't bother the important work of men. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating, but so that wrapped in with that generational kind of like, oh, the men make the money and it's my job yeah. to just stay home. And it's like, but literally like people are not kidding when they say being a, even being a stay at home parent is so much work. You don't just sit yes. around and do nothing all day. Like, but add on top of that, like a lot of, a lot of quilters and a lot of like business owner quilters have kids at home. Mm-hmm. They're managing a household while running a business from home, whether full-time or part-time, it doesn't matter. So yeah. it's like, and yet we're still devalued and undervalued mm-hmm. in what we produce and put into the world. It's like, I don't know. It's just so, it's like crazy to me also to watch women get defensive of of the patriarchy and, and the patriarchy does men dirty too. Our men are so sick. Our men Mm -hmm. are unwell because they are also held to this weird, crazy ideal standard that is not ideal. It's killing them. It's making them angry, vengeful, hateful, hurtful. And I hate it. I hate it because it's not good for anybody. Like it's literally killing people. And so Mm -hmm just to consider that it's like we can be mad at men <laughs> and I yes. think a lot of people are and I yeah I'm not here to judge you for it because I I get it yeah but I think ultimately like raising awareness of the disparity of the dissonance of women paying themselves less because we are inherently view ourselves as less valuable than men Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be like a compassionate approach, I think, because yeah. not only are men held to a ridiculous standard that isn't realistic, so are women. And so when we just get mad at, mad at men about it, it doesn't change it. It just pushes mm-hmm. them further away from wanting to understand how things can be better. Yeah. But it also pushes women into a side of rage that I think disallows us having the conversation that can push us forward. Yeah. So like, yeah. and I don't want anybody to think I'm in any way dismissing terrible behavior because women are held accountable for men's bad behavior all the time. And it is fucked up. So <laughs> please know that that is my official stance. Yeah. Having been the recipient of fucked up male behavior mm-hmm. and having to deal with that trauma and tons and tons of therapy. Like I also feel pretty proud of myself for also wanting to have a more compassionate stance yes yeah but it doesn't change that we still undervalue ourselves yep oh totally totally see a tangent I told you tangents okay anyway (laughs) 
Yeah. So it's us undervaluing ourselves. And it's also the patriarchal system that, that, that devalues women's work. Like I was watching the other day, a documentary on Netflix. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got president Obama in it. And he is just kind of, he kind of spotlights um, the working class. Uh, mm. He like interviews different people who are in different jobs at different mm. levels. And, um, and uh, so he, he shared a stat like, so a custodian, which is primarily a male dominated um, industry mm-hmm. um, can make like about $12 an hour or something like this. And I, I'm paraphrasing for sure. sure. Um, but a, a housekeeper, like a hotel housekeeper, which is primarily a women's industry does like the same general work, mm-hmm. the same amount workload and everything makes about $9 an hour. Right. So it's, it's, it's totally baked into the system. But mm-hmm. one thing I love about this quilting community is how, what, what percentage was it? It was like, I can't remember. It was like 90 something percent of the quilting community is women. Mm-hmm. That means that we have a, we have the power here. Like, sure. Yeah. There's probably some dudes in some high up places and fabric companies, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. but we have the power to make change. Like we're the Mm -hmm. majority here. We should be able to, we set our prices. We decide if we pay testers or not, like we Mm -hmm. have the power. And so like, if you're in the position where you're like, well, I don't need this money. I don't need to be paid, get paid and donate it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's like you, you still have a responsibility to uphold the forward momentum and the change. And yeah, just like well, I don't need it. It's like, okay, great. But what about those of us that do? What about the people that do need it? When you undermine that over your discomfort of asking for money, Mm -hmm. you're just Mm -hmm. perpetuating the issue, the problem. Yeah. If you say, you know what, my time is worth something. Yeah. And I'd really prefer to be paid for this work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Then yeah, if you don't need the money, donate it or put it into a savings account for your kids or your grandkids or yeah you know there's like a million different ways you can do this like yeah yeah you can start still, small yeah and I know absolutely. like like at the very beginning I was giving away you know gift certificates to my shop or mm-hmm. little bundles of fabric you start small and you build up and that's how it should be that's how it yeah. should be um yeah oh geez I I mean we just you got to do it and you got to you got to do it you got to make the change aggressively Mm -hmm. because like I don't want another generation that pays themselves 18 percent less like I don't want that for my daughter you know what I mean and so that means I have to change it right exactly (laughs) my generation yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I just think about like my sister is 15 years younger than I am. So I just even think about her. She's a young, young adult coming into her future of what she might be doing. And it's like, I don't want her to view what she does as any less valuable than anything that her partner is doing, or even my nieces who are 10 and 13 or 14. And same thing. Like I want them to view, look at what my mom and I are doing and be like, Oh my gosh, they like made a really successful business and they pushed really hard and they asked for what they were worth. And like, you know, they see us working all the time and, and I tell them 
stuff. You know, it's like, I talk to them. I'm like, they're like, Oh, what are you making? And I'll tell them this. And it's going to cost this much. It's this size. And you know, the fabric costs about this much. I like break it down for them. Cause I want them to know, like, you know, and then because I'm, I'm doing the work of putting this together, this is what this person's going to be paying me per hour to do that work on top of the quilting on top of the binding, you know, it's like, yeah. yes, they'll pay for the materials, but here's how much of it is labor of me actually doing the work. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, whatever. But I want them to keep hearing it because I think especially to, I don't know what, what it's like, but, um, it was very like taboo, hot topic. Don't talk about it for money and finances like mm. and not just in my family but I just think kind of in the general like culture of of how I was raised and the religion I was raised in and yeah. like and why why I want to know why why exactly. <laughs> well I think because it's it's mm. a that classist like if you don't make enough then it's going to be held against you or it's going to be you're judged and because there's a perspective that if you're highly favored or you're doing the right things that God's going to bless you and you're going to have a great income. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a very good income, then that means you must be doing something wrong. And so there's all this, like, um, like all these moral values placed on, on money, on income. And so it's like a point of, of pride like it's a pride issue, at least from what I experienced. And so the discussion of it meant that you had to be vulnerable and vulnerability was for the birds. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, Oh, geez. There's an account I follow on Instagram. Um, and uh, I think it's called salary transparent street. Okay. I think that's what it's called. If not, it's something very similar to that. But essentially, they just travel around the U.S. or whatever, interviewing people on the street. Hey, would you mind telling me what you do and oh, how much yeah. you make and how you're compensated? Yeah, and yeah. do you feel like you're fairly compensated? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Because I yeah. think, too, like another kind of patriarchal hand down and, and capitalistic hand down that creates that too is um business owners and managers don't want employees talking about what they're making because not everybody makes the same amount Mm -hmm. and so if I tell you that I'm making $55,000 a year to do the same exact job that you're doing and you're only making $45,000 well then people start asking questions and demanding more money whereas if they Mm -hmm. feel like they can get away with paying someone less they'll do it yeah it saves their bottom line and so talking about salary even still like people will post like oh this paper was posted in the break room at my job and it's like if employees are you know hurt overheard discussing their salaries they will be terminated upon (sighs) like immediately or whatever it's like so not only is there like these weird moral things around moral judgments on your income it's like also a capitalism yeah byproduct of like businesses wanting to maintain their bottom line so they 
they pinch pennies wherever they can. And nine times out of 10, it is at the detriment of their workers. Mm-hmm. Especially women. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is where that 18% comes in. Cause we go get jobs and we make a certain amount of money, not really knowing what other people make. And so we just yeah. assume that that's like the norm. And so then because we make 84 cents or whatever it is to the dollar that mm-hmm. men make, then of course we're going to think that our work is worth 18% less than a man's work. Yeah. Stupid as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It just like makes me so mad because even like, and coming from the teaching profession, it's the same. Like the work Mm. is not compensated fairly. If I got paid for all the hours I worked, I would not have had any issues paying my student loans. Mm Mm-hmm you know, paying for a working vehicle to drive me to and from my job. And what's the majority gender of teachers? Women. <laughs> right. So it's the same oh, thing. It's like another yeah. women dominated industry where the the big bosses at the top are typically men who don't know what they're doing because they've never taught a day in the classroom mm. and they don't listen to or value the opinions of the teachers that they're making rules for. Yeah. And so It's just like, I had to have, (laughs) and I know other teachers are like feeling this rage too, because not only do you have to have a specialized four-year or sometimes five-year degree with, you know, essentially internship, but student teaching, so you Mm -hmm. have to get that and you have to pass that and you have to do well and have really good marks and recommendations. And, um, but on top of that, while you're in the workforce you have to take continuing education which Mm -hmm. you have to pay for out of your pocket Mm. and is required of you to be able to continue to recertify um and then you're even with that even though you're paying all this money to have extra credits to have the continuing education that you need to keep doing the job that you've already received a four-year degree for um which again i'm not against learning or growing or learning more. I just think the fact that we have to pay for it, educators have to pay for that out of their pockets and on their own time and still write sub plans and find substitute teachers and make sure that their class is covered while they're doing those things a lot of times. Um, and still like maybe get a $1,000 a year raise for, for having that extra boost in, Oh, you, now you have this many credits and you've got this much longevity and max out at when you can be the most highly educated and have the most years of longevity. Like when you reach that bottom right corner of the pay scale, you're done. Yeah. Which is like on average about, I think $55,000. And I was just like, this is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's just crazy to me. Like, and, and because it's a women, women's profession, you are questioned so much. Like I have, like, I'm still to this day, I've been out of it for two and a half years now. And I'm still to this day, just like sometimes stops me in my tracks, the questions I would get Mm. or the things that parents would assume or people who had no idea who I was, or, you know, they just knew I was a teacher and they, the things they would say to me, I was like, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like (laughs) I'm a professional. Like I have a professional degree. You cannot just walk in this building and do what I do without a high level of education. And 
so and an even higher level of patience exactly oh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah so so i can see where people might go oh well you don't have to have you don't have to have any sort of training or degree to be a quilter or mm. an art you know you don't even have to have official training to be an artist like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or to call yourself one um so i could see where people might be like well you don't have the degree I have, but I have a degree and I was still making or being undervalued and paid very low for, yep. for the specialized work I was doing. So yeah. all that to say, like, it's not about necessarily the education aspect of it or yeah. the, the yeah. credentials behind your name, because I know a lot of people have got credentials and they should not be doing what they're doing. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, you sure you should be a doctor. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say a lot of people, cause I don't want people to think I've got shady doctors out there that I know I, <laughs> I don't, but anyway, um, it doesn't mean that your work is worth any less. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't, there was another stat. Oh, sorry. Sorry. There was no. another stat that was like 70% of American quilters have been quilting for over 20 years. Okay. That. So what's the, what's the, the fact, the, the saying that it's like to become a master at something, you have to do it for like 10,000 hours or mm -hmm. something. So they're mm -hmm. masters. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're master craftsmen. Right. Or craftswomen or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> right. <Hate them. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, when this is what you're devoted to, and this is what you spend your time doing and you've honed your craft and you've honed your skills and you're good at what you do and, and you find value in what you do. And that's how you choose to make your money, which I think this is like a unique millennial kind of issue, which is now going to Gen Z. Like we were simultaneously raised in homes where women's roles were more traditional while mm -hmm. also being raised with girl power and boss babe and mm. you do you boo and so it's like exhausting for one because it's like you've got a foot in both worlds yep that's the whole like that's the what's the um the monologue at the end of barbie mm. yep. for that girl's like yeah. we have it's to impossible do both to be yeah. a woman yeah, yeah. because you have to be pretty, but not too pretty. You have to be smart, but not too smart. You have to be funny, but not too fun. It's like, I literally just saw that monologue. Like I just saw it earlier um, on Instagram because they had put like the text of the script up while America Ferrero was saying it in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was mm -hmm. like reading through it and I was like, it made me sob. Like I saw that movie mm -hmm. three times in the theater and I yes. sobbed every single time because- yeah as women put into this impossible role mm -hmm. of having to fulfill everyone's fantasy of what we're supposed to be while ignoring ourselves. And I think undervaluing in what we do is just part of that. We betray ourselves every day. Every time yeah. you yeah. accept less for what you do because you don't feel like you should accept more, you betray yourself. You betray the next generation of women and not in like a backstabby, you're a terrible person kind of way, but it's like yeah. those little self betrayals add up. Those mm. like little digs at your own self add up. And it's like, it's 
it's crazy. Like the things I've done or like said yes to just because I felt like I had to, I'm just like, I can't even imagine it now. There's, you know, it takes a lot of self, <laughs> self-awareness, but yeah. also not just like from an outsider view of like, okay, I'm aware of things I do now, but I don't have any idea how to break those patterns. Like, oh yeah. I mean, don't get it's me wrong. It's hard. It's really hard. It's taken a lot of therapy for me and I still struggle, you know, it's yeah. like when it's so baked in. So it's, I feel like this is just such an uphill battle at the moment, but I think again, like I was telling you, the more voice we give to this, this topic and find ways where we can com- show self-compassion and compassion to others while still saying yes. And we need to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the important work right there. I think in, and the responsibility of having a business as a woman right now, like yeah. being, being a space for that voice and being an advocate for that voice so that we can keep pushing things forward. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Oh, geez. And I, like, and I'm, I don't want to come off as someone who has got this system down perfect. Cause I, I do not, do I pay my testers like a hourly living wage? No, absolutely. <laughs> like I can't do that. Sure. Right. But, um, but I am compensating them both in gift cards and fabric, but also cash, like straight up cash. And I mm-hmm. think that's a, a step in the right direction. Yeah. I also think like, so I've, I feel like I've gotten that, like I can do, I feel comfortable doing that. But as far as like, um, from the other direction, from the bottom looking up, like I have not learned to advocate for myself and say, these are my rates. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I don't, ooh, oh, oh yeah. it still feels weird as a, as a female to do that, to, yeah. to, uh, you know, like if somebody approaches, like, say like a magazine approached me and say, Hey, we want to feature, um, your, your picture here or whatever this happened to me before. Mm. Um, and I said, oh, sure. Awesome. Great. And not only did they not tell me when the issue was coming out, but there was no compensation whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was just all of a sudden there was a picture in a magazine that was, that was my picture. You know what I mean? Right. And um, so I haven't gotten to the space where I advocate for myself and say, wonderful, here's my media packet, which has a list of my rates and, you know, one-time use photograph, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. have that. Ah, we need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like there's, there's a balance too. There's times when like saying yes to doing something for free is absolutely appropriate and it's up to your own discretion. Mm-hmm. But I think too, and, and I, I think I brought this up in my last, like, solo episode I did kind of before Christmas. So in December, um, just talking about that whole fair compensation idea is like, you have to also be in your own corner. So just like you said, not advocating for yourself. Like mm-hmm. if, if we're going to make any headway, we can't expect other people to also to, to be doing all the work for us. Like you also have to be able to say, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because you, you're not going to be able to compensate me. And there's no hard feelings. It's not a judgment. Some people aren't in the space to, to cover your costs or your fees and that's okay. But I think the more we start demanding those things, the easier it will become for us to say, no, thank you. But, um, you know, I appreciate the thought and, and 
sometimes the exposure is, is worth it. And sometimes just the exposure isn't worth it. It's not enough. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah for sure. So and the I hard think- thing is like being your own advocate is so hard. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like the, the idea of thinking yourself out of a mental illness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay. It's right. kind of impossible. Yeah. And so the more you can advocate for the people around you, mm-hmm. the better, because it's so hard to fix uh, you know, fix something that's internalized within yourself, right? Yourself. Right. But if the other people around you are advocating for you, it's, you have so much more support. So that goes back to like, even if you don't need to be paid, advocate for it. Right. Right. Cause you're, <laughs> cause you're not just helping. It's not just about helping yourself, but it's about help exactly helping the larger community and yeah. making it more expected that people ask a fee for things like mm-hmm. yeah if somebody wants to use your photograph in, in a magazine I didn't even it didn't even occur to me and I I don't do anything that's like my own design so it wouldn't even uh, occur to me to make one like a, a media package to have but I think as yeah. a designer when you're putting your own your name on your work that you designed yourself, like that's a smart thing to have because people are going to want to use your images and, you know, just being prepared to say yes. And here's how much I'm asking. Mm -hmm. I think we have to build it into the system that like these bigger companies that again, maybe are run by more men or have more men working are, they're not afraid to ask for women to do things for free. So if we come back and say, yes, and I'm expecting compensation, they're going to get used to hearing that. And so instead of just saying, hey, can you do this for free? They might say, hey, how much would you charge for X, Y, Z? Or is this enough compensation for X, Y, Z? If they keep hearing, no, I won't do it for free, but I will do it for this much kind of thing. So I think just, again, where if you're in a position where you feel like you can say those things or you can push those kind of ideas out there and maybe because these ideas these kind of patriarchal and and capitalism ideas are baked in it's really hard to think of them again if you're in your own bubble and you've not really thought or or experienced anything outside of that so the more we can kind of say these things out loud and talk about them and put those ideas out there for people who maybe wouldn't have had that idea the easier it will be for people to go, yeah, you know what? I should get paid for that <laughs> versus just thinking like, oh no, it's fine if I do it for free. Yeah. Like, no, it's not Brenda charge, <laughs> charge for it. <laughs> and I think just like I was saying earlier, sorry, I'm still on this tangent, but if everybody just does a little bit, we can't all like you said, I can't afford, you can't afford to pay your testers a full living hourly wage, yeah. which is fine. But you're, if, as long as you're clear and transparent about what you can compensate with and say, here's what you would receive if you were to do this job for me. Mm-hmm. And that person says, okay, that sounds great for me. Then yeah. you're in an agreement and that's fine. But if you just ask people to do something for you, and make it maybe seem like there's going to be compensation and then you don't mm. compensate or you say you're going to compensate and then you don't because you're like, well, I actually can't like have that plan in place ahead of time and, and be clear about it up front. Because I think um, to go back to my my homie, um, 
<laughs> Brene Brown. Being clear yes. is being kind. Saint Brene. Saint Brene. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Being clear is being kind. And that is something mm-hmm. that I'm working on, especially in communication with quilty clients. Like, no, I cannot do that for you yeah. because uh, you cannot pay me what it would be worth. Yeah. I've straight up said that to so many people because they're like, well, I want this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, here's how much that would cost. And I'm not going to do it because I don't have the time to devote to that. Yeah. And to me, that's kindness instead of making them think that I can do something that I can't or won't do. Mm, Yeah. Or stringing them on or trying to let them down easy, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, yeah, it's really hard. It's really, Mm -hmm. really hard. And I fail sometimes. And then I kick myself because I'm like, oh, they're going to be disappointed. And that is not what I want, you know? Yeah. But I think with ourselves too, being clear and honest with our own selves and how we communicate with ourselves and don't talk ourselves out of things. Yeah. Is I think that self-talk too is, is big is change changing that can, can, you know, lead to bigger changes in other areas of your life. If you stop telling yourself that you're not worth as much or that it's fine. Cause it's just a little craft or it's just a little hobby or, yeah, you know, it's like, if you're not thinking about the impact of, of on other people, then, you know, you're really doing the whole, the whole thing, the whole community a disservice by not considering the impact it'll have on everybody else. And not that it's our job to save the world, but if, if we all just do what we can, when we can, then things will start to change, I think for the better yes so our little corner of the universe yeah hopefully it'll spread hopefully (laughs) hopefully yeah because I do love it and I think sometimes getting into this conversation can make people think that like like you know I've seen the question why do you hate the quilting world so much if you're if you're a quilter why do you hate quilters so much it's like I don't hate quilters (laughs) (laughs) I hate the overarching ideas that that control our thinking about things mm-hmm. that make quilting spaces unsafe for some people or inaccessible or you know I'm all for having a business and and I mean we're in a capitalist structure so I'm not gonna be a martyr but I'm also not gonna like do it in a way that I feel bad about or that I feel like I'm you know, hurting other people over. So there's ways mm-hmm. we can do it. And I think we, when we all band together, we, we can create change and, and revolutionize things that quite frankly need to be revolutionized. <laughs> oh, for sure. So for sure. Anyway, did we cover mm-hmm. everything <laughs> that people asked? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think so. So in, okay. in, uh, in closing, um, don't feel bad about sewing from your stash and mm-hmm. posting about it. Mm-hmm. Um, support your local <laughs> quilt shops and small businesses. Yes. Oh, Um, and, um, ask for money. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> ask for what compensation. Owed. I mean, it doesn't have to be money, but yeah, no. uh, you know, yes. Advocate for yourself. And if, you're in the position where you don't need to advocate for yourself then advocate for the others around you you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. There you go. That's all people need to hear is the last 10 seconds of this episode. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Listen to the whole thing. Um, Well, gosh, thank you so much for your time. I know it's been kind of a, a long one, but I think these are important topics and I really appreciate that you reached out to your followership to, to get some kind of things that people want to hear. Cause I, I, that's something I worry about. I'm like, do people even want to hear these episodes? Like are people even <laughs> interested in what's, what's happening on the show? So, so I appreciate that because I, you know, that's why I'm here is to be a platform for, for voices to be heard and, and for ideas oh, yeah. to be shared. So. No. And I, I love it. Like I love I love the concept of this podcast and I think you're executing it so, so well. And honestly, I reached out mostly for selfish reasons because I was so, I was so scared that with my ADHD, that I was just going to like either come on here and just like word vomit, just like every (laughs) topic under the sun and have no direction whatsoever. Or the other way around is like, I would be like, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I like to quilt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. I was like, mm, maybe they can give me some direction on what to say. So yeah. Yeah. But thank you so that. much for having me. This is my first time and maybe even only time on a podcast. And so um, thank wow. you for allowing me to use my voice. Yay. Yes, of course. And thank you for willing, being willing to be on. And I just, I loved that we had our little hometown connection and, you know, just segue things into more, you know, it's like, you never know where, where things will lead you. And again, it's that put yourself out there, like make those, build those community Mm -hmm. connections and ask people questions. I think that's something I didn't really say. It's just like, don't be afraid to reach out to people and ask them questions or just talk about things that you have in common. If you see them sharing online or whatever, it's like, yeah, such a great way to build, to keep building your community. So I appreciate it. So, yeah. Well, next time in Boise, maybe we can go to, um, what was that place where we would go and get like scones, like late at night and it was open Merits. like 24 hours. Merits. Is it <laughs> yeah. still open? I believe so. I haven't been there in so long, but it's know, like the right? building is still there. So, oh, it's still there. It's, it's yeah. the kind of place where like you go in and you just have to keep your eyes at eye level. Don't mm-hmm. look down. Don't look at the floor. Don't, yeah. Don't look at the floor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where we'll go and we'll get some scones. <laughs> okay, great. I love it. Well, um, before we go, where can people find you online so they can come shop yeah. your stuff? Okay. So um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and that's um, at Tara Lee Quiltery. So T-A-R-A-L-E-E-Q-U-I-L-T-E-R-Y. Um, and then I also have a website as well, which is just TaraLeeQuiltery.com. Perfect. Yes. Okay. And anybody that we mentioned um, that brought up questions or that, you know, you were shouting out shops and all that, we will tag everybody and put links in the show notes so that if people want to check them out, they can, and we'll obviously put your stuff on there. So yeah, we'll, we'll put that online so people can check out your stuff. And otherwise, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to see you at QuiltCon. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs)